these jeans of his with her name still on it. Hey, but I don't care, cause sometimes I said, sometimes I hear my voice, and it's been The Combing the Stacks podcast, your go-to podcast for six decades of music, three albums at a time. Each decade, we cover over 200 albums spanning all musical genres and tastes, from the well-known acts to the cult favorites. Your tour guides on this journey are John, Josh, and Matt, three amateur music podcasters who all share a love of music and a shared quest to hear the next great album. And now, we head into the Stacks. the evening of February 8th, 2024. You're listening to Combing the Stacks Music Podcast, Season 4, Episode 17. As always, just throw Combing the Stacks Music Podcast in Google. You'll find all kinds of fun stuff. We're going to kind of go right into it today because we have a, a special guest. We taped a segment earlier. Um, good conversation about Tori Amos's Little Earthquakes. We've still got three more albums to go as well as some singles. Uh, and I think uh, instead of doing the check-ins, I'm going to just have... Uh, our friends check in as we do the first single. So I'll tell you what, Matt, why don't you go ahead and play our pick our first single and let's chat. All right, I'm gonna pick um, I'm gonna pick pick you can't play with my yo-yo by yo-yo featuring <laughs> Ice Cube. Um, we've heard once before on the Ice Cube. Album. Yo-yo was on the Ice Cube. Was that oh was it was um where the they, were kind, of, they were kind of they were kind of dissing each other. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah, um, yeah. like a diss track going back and forth and stuff and uh, a little explicit. This one not so explicit actually. This one was not as not as uh, as bad as some of the other ones. But uh, I I never heard the song. I barely knew who yeah, Yo Yo was. I still don't know really who Yo Yo is. A female <laughs> rapper that occasionally raps with Ice Cube. That's about the extent of my knowledge of her. Yeah. And I like this song. This had a great beat behind it. This is a great. It's an upbeat. Um, you know, I'm not sure if what is being sampled or if anything's being. I'm assuming something's being sampled, but I don't know exactly what it is. But whatever it was, I I quite enjoyed it. I like the interplay of Yo Yo and Ice Cube, and. Uh, it was just a fun, nice little uh, surprise of a song that I just didn't know much about, and um, I, I I enjoyed quite a bit. So I would I would put this in my buzz bin. I think, guys, it's just uh, you know I, I think you know for hip hop songs, even though it's not my go to genre, I think that there's something about 
you know, a, a, just a hip hop song with a great with a great beat or a great uh, sample, a great groove, and it's just it's it's just easily it's it's something that's easy to get into and uh, bob your head to and dance to and whatever. And um, yeah, for a song I never knew or heard about before, I, I did enjoy this, so I would give it a thumbs up and put it in the bin. Yeah, I hadn't heard of her either. Uh, we haven't really covered any female rappers yet. Uh, although I guess you guys covered TLC. I don't, they're not really considered rap, but, but they do. So well, the the uh, the uh, who is it? L does some rapping. Left Eye, right? She's yeah. the she's the rapper yeah. of that group. But they mm -hmm. do other stuff. It's not single. We'll do all MC about Light rap. and Queen Latifah in the, in the near future too. Who are okay. directors? Mary J. Basically. Blige did a rap, like you know, but she's not. You know, that's yeah, not what she's yeah. known right. for. Right. But she Yo Yo is is kind of straight up rap in the way that yep. Ice Cube. Is mm -hmm. and and those other uh, gangster rap people from the West Coast and uh, yeah I I like this too it's a it's got a pretty good chorus I appreciated kind of her like uh, her ability was uh, really good and kind of matched what the level is of of all those other rappers um, that are out at this current time she I think I appreciate the the female perspective um, that she brings to rap, to rap uh, that we have, haven't really heard, you know, it's all been kind of one-sided male crime, like <laughs> West coast type of uh, bias, at least uh, for those that are in her orbit. And I thought that, um, you know, it kind of had a danceable beat to it too. I think there's kind of like a party feel to the song and uh, I appreciated that as well. So thumbs up i think it's going in the buzz bin for me as well yeah a couple cleaning things here the sample of this song is devotion by earth wind and fire just okay. so you know that and Good the song she rapped on on america kkk's most wanted was <laughs> it's a man's world uh, right that's it going backwards yeah where they're doing <laughs> call and response so yeah i think the, the corollary here to me is mc light and and before that roxanne shante who they feuded those two so mm -hmm. there you go i also think uh Flow-wise, I was reminded of DeBrat, who is coming back a little bit uh, later. I think there's some similarities in their flow. Uh, I think this is that lane for female rap where it's a mix of, like, I'm tough, I don't take any shit, and I can hang with the guys if needed, but right. also I'm down to F. You know what I mean? Because I'm hot. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> Stuff like that, and I'm feminine. That And that's the lane. Obviously, that lane expands where it's, like, full, like, tougher, like, like a gangster lane, and also a full-on sex lane but to some degree a little bit of this is the template of what still exists today with people like Nicki minaj and um cardi b mm -hmm. right and megan the stallion this is sort of the template to lay out what that version of rap is going to look like and and you know we talk about lineages of stuff going on that's where it is here i like this song too and i i do like the interplay of the two voices right here and there's just some ice cube would be a hell of a hook singer because there's just stuff he says gets stuck in my head. And like in this case, all I can think is, you can't play with my yo-yo. You know, it's just like, it's in my head. Like, he's got a great voice. Yeah. how he says yo-yo. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, he's got like a incredibly commanding voice that just sticks the landing, so to speak, on the chorus. And I think if it didn't have that piece of it, it would have been right in the middle. But I think the fact that I... I love those choruses and I love the the interplay and that it stuck with me. And and the fact that this is sort of the first song we're getting of a female rapper without having alternate identities. I, I think this one's going to go in my buzz bin too, guys. I enjoyed it. There this we one. go. Nice. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, let's go with uh, Mr. Big. 
uh, be ah. with you <laughs> next <laughs> to be with I get you. first take, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I always remember this song because I was part of this. I, I got invited to this thing when I was in elementary school. And during it, you had to create a country. That was the theme. That was like an all-day <laughs> thing, to create a country. Wow. And I was tasked with a couple of different things. <laughs> Ironically, two things. One was writing the Constitution, which is hilarious <laughs> because it's like 10-year-olds. And it's like, yeah, I'll just write a Constitution in an hour. So it was not a great Constitution, although maybe better than – in some ways, the one we're defending right now. But the other thing I was, I, I ran out of time because I was writing the Constitution. So I had to write the anthem as well was the other thing I got. And this song was all over the radio at the time. I think I was nine. I said ten. I think I was nine when this thing was. It was called The Land was the name of this thing. Don't ask <laughs> me how I ended up this. So I had very to. Creative. The people, I did not name this country. And it's very <laughs> funny. The country was named IOS. And it was like this dorky, it was the independent organization of states and i'm like that sounds very political and then it was hilarious because like a couple years later the soviet union broke up and they (laughs) went to the olympics and they were called like the ioc or something i was like oh my god this is like almost the exact same thing that like ios was and i was like making fun of it all the time so i had to write this like anthem for ios and i was really time strapped on the constitution part of it so i basically borrowed to be with you to write the, the, the thing. And it was just sort of like, the chorus is like, I'm the one who went to iOS. So like, I can't hear oh, this wow. song without thinking of, it was horrible. And I knew it was horrible, but it was like, it was a means to an end because I you think the like, evaluation yeah. was 60% constitution. And that's how I just basically cribbed that. So that's, that's a little aside. I know we're not supposed to go long on these singles, but I did have to share that. That's story. pretty funny. Uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well so, but yeah, this one falls into like, I always also tie this together with more than one words by extreme yeah it's like they're kind of like geeky dorky i think even the videos are both black and white if i remember correctly and you know they're on a bus early. in this one i think i don't know if this is black and white. i remember them being on a bus like okay. they're playing the song yeah. like on a tour bus yeah i want I, I don't think they're in the a tour bus i think they're in a no. room or something but it's definitely room? Like why do i think it was a bus like extreme well, yeah, and you know yeah. another song I put into this is like "Roll uh, Roll with Me" by Del Amitri. Is another Del Amitri. It's like all these, yeah. It's all these guys that are just sort of like harmony. They're songs that you want to hate them, but you're like, no, these are super catchy songs. There's a reason they still get played all the time right now. Very emotive, very long hair guys that like. I think are trying real hard to be sex symbols, but they kind of look funny, like in the modern context right mm-hmm. now. Cause you're like, what is going on with these guys? And, uh, but yeah, it's kind of an undeniable song. It's super catchy. It's a really easy song to sing along with too. Yeah. Uh, and then I always, at the end of it always makes me laugh. Cause it ends with sort of that, like, the, how would you describe like, ah! Yeah. It's kind of like, and it just always makes me laugh every time I hear it. And the radio used to cut it off before that would go on. So I sometimes forget that it's there. It's like, Oh wow. Okay. Uh, or, or like a DJ would be talking over, right? Like that's Mr. Big. And you wouldn't get that thing. So it just made me laugh at the end. So I think I, I think I put this in my buzz bin. It's, um, it's a song that I vividly remember being on i and i I, it couldn't have been nine when this was i must have been older at the land because this was 92 right so yeah i would have been 11 91 92 i don't know where we are on the singles but some early 90s yeah i wouldn't have it was early so i think yeah it would have been 11 like 12 memory 11 12 yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah but i put it in my bin yeah my next uh, or you yeah yeah, go for it all right yeah heck yeah this was uh i love the song too uh it's i i agree it's very i always want to sing it um, I love the inflection and the of the uh, and the passion that the, the, the that the yeah. that the yeah. main Mister Big. What's the main Mister Big's name? I don't know. Eric I don't Martin. Know. Eric oh, Martin, Mister yeah. Big. Uh, he's just got. I love the emphasis that he's got. He's waiting 
don't let lie. You know, he's <laughs> yeah. getting really into it and stuff, and, and I get into it too. It also has a key change at the end, which uh, I, I'm all a big fan of, and uh, it's just a, it's a good ballad. It's got a cool little pretty, you know, acoustic guitar solo, and uh, and that's got some emphasis on it too. It's almost like he's plucking it at the end. It's yeah. it's uh, it's got a cool sound to it, and uh, it's it's i guess it's like is this a hair uh, or a monster ballad i guess it's still kind of in the hair metal realm so. the, the monster know. ballad realm and uh i feel like it's more michael bolton realm than it is hair metal. but these were, were, were these guys they were kind of a hair metal band though weren't they, they like were. extreme yeah. right yeah okay yeah yeah i mean that's that's my guess i don't i can't name you any other mr big songs but uh but anyway i love this song it's very it's, it's uh, it yeah it's uh it would go in my bin as well yeah, this song is, it has to be in the buzz bin. I think it's fantastic. It's a song that like anytime I hear it, I, I am happy to hear and sing along to. And it's just one of those songs that that has such a great hook. It's such a simple theme, <laughs> like waiting on a girl yeah, right. to like get get with you. But, but it, uh, you know, the guy's voice. It's kind of funny though, because it's like be with you or like, like, is it like a gangbang? <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i've ever thought yeah. about that okay yeah. um, i guess that's one interpretation but i think this eric martin's voice is pretty good and i like the you know it's it's not as um i don't know it's not as schmaltzy as extremes more than words but it's it's close and but it works i i like the attitude i like just how catchy it is ultimately and uh yeah in the buzz bin for sure all right, oh. I guess I get to pick the next one, and yep. there's really only there's only one choice for me, and that is going to be Latour, <laughs> guys, because this one I hadn't thought of this song in 30 years, probably it's close to right, like yeah, 32 years old and stuff. Like that. I remember it, and I hadn't thought of it forever, and I was chuckling as I was doing it because I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm this is funny. It's going to be funny to talk about, and I'm going to like hate this song, but it's going to be good to talk about. And I listen, I'm like, I actually like this song and i don't know why i like this song it's it's in some ways it's monotonous it's absurd it, it's almost like it is almost like Blood the hounding. id of techno yeah like I'd, you know it's, it's like the words that are going is like what you think of like doof, 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 like when you think of the music as like getting on e and doing mm-hmm. you know what i mean like hypersexual and stuff like that but then the person's like literally explicitly going like somewhere in the world people are having sex to this exact song at this time <laughs> and it's so on the nose and stuff it just i don't know it, it worked for me for some reason i'm not always the biggest techno fan i think some of it is because i like the beat of this song and i like the variation and i think just the escalation of theme to the lyrics becoming increasingly more ridiculous i think and specific about like exactly like the act it's, it's like it's talking about sex but there's absolutely nothing sexy about this song it's almost like pedantic in some ways like like a doctor describing like yes these are things to look out for when you have sexual <laughs> you know uh contact with someone and stuff while there's this pulsating like ibiza level beat behind it so i i don't know if i could put it in my buzz bin but um I was amused by this and I enjoyed it. And I was laughing, thinking about both of you guys. I was hoping that neither of you would be familiar with this song. So you'd be chuckling as it was going on. So yeah, what's your uh, relationship I with had song, Josh? not heard this song before and I did not have as positive reaction to it as you did. I thought it was pretty kind of generic, uh, 
electronic dance music the the theme is kind of funny in a tongue-in-cheek sort of way and and they're you know they're it's ridiculous but it wasn't enough for me to bring it up uh you know bring it up to go in the buzz bin i think primarily due to the fact that it just like there's not really that strong of a hook to it uh it's it's more and it's more of like him the person talking versus any sort of actual singing too that didn't really work for me the video is pretty hilarious though too so i do recommend yes. that there's a lot of what about like... the werewolf sound at like the <laughs> three minute mark which is my favorite part of yeah i guess song. that is funny um but yeah the those besides those things i did not really like this that much so <laughs> i give it a thumbs down so this is funny because like i i I ordinarily would not have known this song going into this week, but literally like a week or two ago, for whatever reason, it was brought to Sherry's mind. Like (laughs) something came up or she was reminded of it. She's like, have you ever heard that song? People are, I'm like, I don't think so. And she played it. And I, on the video and stuff, I was like, no, I definitely haven't heard this before. <laughs> and then, like, lo and behold, like, a week, two weeks later, whatever it was, here it is, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and we were trying to remember, like, when this – because this came on, I was playing the – I was playing the uh, the uh, the singles yeah. in the kitchen the other day. And this comes on, and Cherry's like, are you covering this? I was like, yes. I was, <laughs> I was like, we have – and I'm like, why why did that come up again the other day? She goes, I don't remember. Like, this is where our brains are. They just, like, yeah. you don't remember anything that happened well, longer than two hours ago. Right. Um, so, yeah, this is like a novelty song, right? It's right. just kind of like – you know, it's it's not like a real song. It's catchy, right? It's got the beat. It's like, yes, it's a techno. It's kind of like a techno song. And – you know and uh and so that's kind of catchy and then yeah it's kind of like tongue-in-cheek kind of funny lyrics about like you know people are uh, counselors and parents are telling them to stop and the message isn't getting across and even aids hasn't stopped it you know (laughs) so so i'm laughing at part of this and stuff like this i'm like okay this is pretty clever and funny i so i wouldn't say it's a thumbs down but i also certainly wouldn't put it in the but it's not buzz bin worthy but it was it was fine for what it is and it's kind of uh it's yeah like a novelty song and you know it's 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 unique i would give it that you know so uh but it's it's enough catchy like i don't mind techno stuff it's it's not it's a little bit long but it's 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 still i was i was fine with it so uh i'm kind of thumbs in the middle slightly thumbs up i guess is (laughs) there's there's some hilarious lines in this like uh the evidence is all around that everyone in town has had it one time or another (laughs) (laughs) that's probably the yeah yeah. Although you can't, even they're having it in their condo or the projects, but you can't hear them breathing. That would be left. I just, as I was listening, it was, and, and meanwhile, you could just see like a DJ, like just rolling as people are just, you know, on yeah. the beach, you know, yeah. early 90s yeah. stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Josh, what do you want to do for a fourth of the two remainder? Um, let's go with uh, Roxette's Joyride. Uh, this was a favorite of mine this week in the singles uh i i for some reason have a strong memory of this music video (laughs) unlike any other song that we've like (laughs) talked about i remember the red car in the desert and the whistling part uh was definitely i knew exactly where that was coming in when i was listening and watching the video and uh you know like their previous two songs that we've covered it must have been love and uh and the look, look. Um, they are, 
these those Swedes, man, they know how to craft a pop song, and this is going in the buzz bin. It's silly, but it's it's got a great hook, and it's fun to sing along to, and the video is is pretty entertaining as well. What'd you think, Matt? Uh, um, I'm not as high as on it as you are. I <laughs> I like it. It's 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 um. It's definitely catchy. I get why it's a hit. I get why people love it. It's not one of it's. I probably like those other rock set songs better than this one. Um, yeah. There's something about the chorus that, like, I I don't know. It seems, it's it's. I I get the catchiness of it, but it also seems at the same time that it's missing something. Um, but I can't really put my finger on it. So it's definitely got some interesting, like, dated, you know, sound effects, <laughs> yes. which ordinarily, like, it's it, it's not a turnoff in and of itself. But I can't help but think that if maybe this was a little bit more on my radar or something that I listened to more as a kid or or liked more as a kid that I would appreciate more now. But, like, hearing it now and, you know, just never really being a huge fan of it to begin with, it didn't take me to the next level of, like, oh, I love this song, you know. Um, but it's, it's, it's certainly serviceable and fine for what it is, you know. It's got. I do like the guitar sound. It's got like kind of a big full. It's it's still kind of got an '80s, you know, like oh, sheen to it um, yeah. for sure. And even the guitar sounds a little '80s sheen. Um, it's, I like the whistling. That's kind of nice. The or the, the whistle like sound that they're doing. Yeah. I, thank you, Josh. I can't whistle. <laughs> Fun fact: Matt can't whistle. So um, really, okay. Yeah, yeah, I can't. I, yeah, yeah. But um, so yeah, I, I I like it. It's a it's a it's a good song, but it's it's not worthy enough for the buzz bin for me, unfortunately. It was their What's fourth and last number one and blow? in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Oh, for, okay. Well, I think of five songs. Well, what's the line about whistling, right? Pucker your lips and blow, Matt. Maybe that's <laughs> yeah, just put your lips together and blow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. yeah. So there you go. There's some advice for you. But in, I think of five just songs air. when I think of Roxette. The two that we mentioned before that we covered. Yep. And then this one. And then Listen to Your Heart is yep. number four. And then Dangerous is the other like Roxette song I think of. I would say of those five, this is probably my least favorite of the five. Hmm. Um, it's, I, I don't know. It's uh, The two we covered are my two favorites. The two that I mentioned that we didn't cover have a little bit more like heart in the 80s feel to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like these big, super produced songs, especially like Listen to Your Heart, right, is, is there. Yep. This one, there's nothing wrong with it. I just think it's a standard issue pop song. And I think that songs like It Must Have Been Love just had a something about it that made it stand out beyond just the average pop song. Whereas this one is sort of like in your lane, pop song, straight ahead, inoffensive, but ultimately forgettable. Um, Whereas, you know, the look and uh, it must have been love just sort of, they had a replayability for me that maybe this one didn't have. Uh, so I don't want to say it's bad because it's not bad, but I yeah. think for me, a pop song has to have something that makes me want to seek it out again to get into the bub. If it's a pure pop song to get into the buzz bin and this one doesn't quite have it. So yeah. I think this one falls in the mid category for me. Hmm. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I think Josh. I like the look more. It's fine, but uh, I'll just keep listening to it. That's fine. Yeah. You can, <laughs> that's the beauty of this. You can do that for sure. Well, I guess I'll start with saving the best for last, if that's okay, guys. Vanessa yep. Williams. Are we really um, saving the best for last? Is we, that what you're going to say, John? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's funny. I don't think we planned to save that for last, but it just ended up happening. Uh, this is a standard, right? This is a straight-ahead adult contemporary standard, grown-ass adult um, love <laughs> yeah. song. Grown-ass right? adult. And 
Yeah, grown ass. You know what I mean? There's it's it does not sound like the type of song that like a 17 year old sings or like a 25 year old's figure out. It's like I want like grown up love, right? Like kind of what we're doing and all the feelings and stuff that comes with it. Um, and you know, it's but it's romantic as well. And as such, I'm going to judge it in that lane of the adult contemporary lane. And I think it's a very pleasant adult contemporary song. I think Vanessa Williams has a really pretty voice. Mm-hmm. I think the construction of the song is really well the production of the songs excellent you could see why it was a big hit because it it sort of pops off the radio a little bit um it i i would also say i love the the way it sort of builds to a crescendo as it goes along and then fades out very gently at the end so it kind of does evoke the feeling of what love is and there's sort of like you you don't kind of know if she's saying it because it's true or if she's saying it because she hopes that it's true, right? So there's a little bit of, like, yearning and even a little bit of, like, desperation in the way that she sings. And, um, you know, I, I vividly remember this video because, you know, Vanessa Williams is a, is a very strikingly pretty woman. Um, and the video, I remember it just shot it and she just looked very classically beautiful and the song mm-hmm. was pretty. And the whole, it was the image mixed with the song and you're just like, yeah, this all kind of comes together as to what adult contemporary is supposed to sound like. And I know if adult contemporary is not your lane, this type of song isn't going to be for you, but I have a space for the standards or adult contemporary. And for me, it's really, how does it sound? How pretty is it? Um, does it evoke feeling like move me a little bit and this one does and so i've always liked this one so um this one gets a thumbs up for me is it buzz been worthy john uh i think i think so because i'm judging Mm. it on the the lane of this style of music and in this style of the music i think it's a really good interpretation of it well, I, I, I like the way you put that, like judging it for what it is, because yes, like this type of, it's, I'm not rushing to throw on either, uh, you know, my record player, my, you know, my Spotify playlist, uh, you know, adult contemporary like ballads like this. Having said that, I think I agree with you that it's, if you're going to have a song like that, it might as well be something like this. I think that her voice is very good. And I think. I just think that it's a pretty melody more so than anything. Um, you know, the production is what it is for a adult contemporary type song, but I also wouldn't say that it's this over the top schmaltzy type production, which I think are generic or whatever. There's something that like is appealing about it. Um, and it's perfectly fine. Like it, it's, it's like, it's, it, this is really good background music. That's, it would be inoffensive to anybody that would hear it, but it also doesn't make you want to like gag yourself. It's like some of these songs like, Oh, this is like overly sentimental, hokey, you know, kind of song. I don't get the vibes of that from this. So, um, so I guess in that rel- in that vein, it gets, you know, a, a, a slight, a thumbs up as much as you can get. I, I, I can't put it in my buzz bin. Like, I just, I don't know if I can put songs like this in my buzz bin I, I need a little bit more oomph to it um or something that i'm like i want to i want to hear that again i want to hear that again and i don't mind hearing this again but i wouldn't say that i want to hear that again so maybe mm-hmm. that's the distinction i make but it's still a very pretty song and so and i do enjoy it so it uh, thumbs up in that regard for sure it's going in my buzz bin because i feel like i knew all of the words for some reason as soon as i heard the song <laughs> and it I, is an easy song to sing along to yeah for as small jo- as josh is like surprising himself as he's singing yeah. it he's like i, I know this <laughs> yeah it's really like it really kind of got under my uh, 
embedded you know in me I, through osmosis I understand. <laughs> you know why I understand that, Josh? Because as I was listening to this and sing with it, I was actually able to like do certain things, like go like, "Isn't this world so crazy?" And I'm like, "Wow, <laughs> yeah. okay." Like I know exactly yeah. when her voice changes. Yeah, so I hear you. I yeah, even it. when like the strings would come in and stuff, I like knew. I don't know. I must have heard this song a lot, but uh, yeah, this song was, really kind of it was ri- a huge hit. Yeah, yeah. It, it rides on her her voice and you know, short of Whitney Houston, it's pretty strong voice uh, for this type of song. Uh, ballad and it's a I think it's a great you know all love songs in some ways are pretty sappy and I think this is as well but it's one that that um that I welcome and Mm. (laughs) in my life Mm. so so I I will uh I'm gonna give it a thumbs up I think it's worthy and if if we're representing adult if we're you know if we had to pick uh songs for the adult contemporary genre to put in the buzzpin as representatives like the united nations or john's ios country then then uh, yeah. <laughs> then vanessa williams is 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 the representative I, yeah she's john gonna... your, your national anthem for the ios should have been yeah. more this that would have been more i'll try to write down what song. i remember of it and share it with you guys so you can be it's amazed amazing. by that but um yeah. i also want to mention that for me adult contemporary is the closest i get to matt in the sense of there's one thing i'm looking for and that's does your voice sound good and yeah. the rest of I'm not looking for words in this because it's not what this, this genre is designed for. Yeah. So like, but if you can sing, I'm gonna like you singing adult contemporary. And yep. you know, Vanessa mm-hmm. Williams can sing. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. There you go. All right. All right. Let's jump into our first segment this week. We're gonna talk about Tori Amos, Little Earthquakes, and it's an auspicious day in the CTS landscape because Chelsea, John's sister, is on to talk about Tori Amos. With us, she is a super fan, uh, self self described super fan, or maybe John yes. described her as a super fan. I don't know. And, and uh, so we wanted to have her on to get her take on this album and Tori Amos as a whole. Welcome to the show, Chelsea. Glad you're here. Thank you. Thank um, you for having me. I would call myself a super fan of this album, especially. So okay, good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. And in the opening montage, you heard "Silent All These Years." And now you're gonna hear Happy Phantom. Yeah, Tori Amos's Little Earthquakes comes in at number 105 in the 1990s on Best Ever Albums. Eight in 1992, number 614. I got to get glasses for crying out loud. Six for these <laughs> numbers are small. 614 of all time. Tori Amos's highest rated album on Best Ever Albums. It did make rollings coming in at number uh, 233. And Tori Amos is ranked as the number 278th highest rated artist on Best Ever Albums. Okay, so Tori Amos was born Myra Ellen Amos in 1963 in Newton, North Carolina, while her family was on vacation there. Uh, They are originally from Georgetown in D.C., and then they actually moved to Baltimore later on in her childhood. Um, This is her She's a Maryland girl. 
Yeah. Isn't she? Hmm. Mm-hmm. This is her debut album and our first time covering her, obviously. But um, but she was in a synth pop band before this, before she went solo called Why Can't Tori Read, which was released in July of 88 by the, uh, under the same label, Atlantic, that she was signed to. Uh, the drummer in that group, none other than Matt Sorum of Guns N' Roses fame. Oh, wow. Um, that thought oh, you guys would appreciate that. that. Um, she has 16 solo albums, with the latest being Ocean to Ocean in 2021. She's classified as alternative rock, indie rock, chamber pop, um, alternative pop, etc. All the combinations. The uh, influences are are many, as you can probably guess: Joni Mitchell, Suzanne Vega, Kate Bush, John Lennon, Laura Nero, Peter Gabriel, etc. Um, similar and followed by. Fiona Apple, Cat Power, Jeff Buckley, Alanis Morissette, Feist, Patti Smith, Regina Spector, St. Vincent, Florence and the Machine. Um, I hear a lot of uh, other artists from, from Tori Amos after listening to this album. Her mm-hmm. highest single is Spark from 1998, which reached 49 on the Billboard Hot 100. Her third album, uh, 1996's Boys for Pele, reached two on the Billboard 200. And some fun facts about her early life in this album. Um, she taught herself to play piano uh, at age two. She could reproduce music she heard once um, beforehand. She was composing Just songs at age three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't she have synesthesia, right? Yes. That is okay, one of the facts. Gotcha. Yep. yep. She describes. Oh, seeing, sorry. I didn't mean to jump your thing. Yeah. It's okay. She describes seeing music as structures of light, which is known as chromesthesia. Um, which is hmm. very interesting and hard to comprehend. Uh, as my <laughs> wife said, maybe it's like playing rock band and you see the bars and then the, uh, <laughs> music. Uh, at age five, she was admitted to the Peabody Institute, which is part of Johns Hopkins, and she studied classical piano there from 68 to 74 before her scholarship was discontinued um, and she was asked to leave. She said that she was kicked out due to her interest in rock and popular music as well as her dislike for reading sheet music. And um, Atlantic, she was signed to Atlantic Records when she was 17 after uh, they got out one of her demo, they got one of her demo tapes, and uh, which led to that first band that I told you about. Um, she had a six record contract. So after kind of the critical and commercial failure of, of the, that first group effort, she still had to fulfill her um, remaining records <laughs> contract and uh, Atlantic thought that she would actually have more success in the UK because of the market's quote appreciation for eccentric performers so the album this album Low Earthquakes came out first there in the UK and then a month later in in the US and it was a pretty big hit in the UK right right away and then it was kind of a slow build for for um, the US market and then she kind of got this rabid cult following um, we will be covering Under the Pink later on this season, which is the second album. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the early bio stuff. So let's start with Chelsea. How did you first hear about Tori Amos and kind of what was your reaction this time around listening to the album? Yeah, um, so I guess I first was introduced to Tori Amos in middle school. So oh, mm-hmm. probably around 94, 95. I guess I was about 12, 13, which thinking back is kind of funny thinking of this like being an album that a 12-year-old would listen to. But yeah, it's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, I guess that was kind of young. But um, I we had just moved to a new school. Um, it was middle school, and I was meeting new friends, and 
they had different kinds of musical tastes. So it was Mm. a time in my life where I was branching out from, you know, what was on pop radio and kind of finding new different kind of music. And I had a friend who was like my artsy friend. She was Mm. really Mm. into like female singer songwriters. She had an older sister who would introduce her to all kinds of music. Shout out Elsa Waldman. (laughs) (laughs) So she, um, she was really into Tori Amos. So I think she also loved Ani DeFranco. So she was like kind of of that time period. Mm-hmm. I didn't get into Ani DeFranco that much, but um, I think she gave me this CD and I started listening to it and I absolutely loved it. And I pretty much did not stop listening to it for the next two years. I got into her next two albums as well. Um, and I can vouch yeah. for that, by the way, having sharing. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yes, it was kind of like the time you know, of my youth where you would go in your room, like shut the door, light some incense and some candles and just kind of <laughs> yeah. really get get into the album. <laughs> so yeah, Jonathan and I or our rooms were pretty close together. So I'm sure he heard his share of this album as this well. This is a good this is a good album for incense, I feel like. It's yes, kind of, yes, yes, yes. She puts you in a yeah. certain headspace for sure. Exactly. A lot of emotion, uh, a lot of intense um, music. So so was this kind of your first like big female singer songwriter that you were a fan of? Or was there people before? I know your mom and parents were, yeah. were big mm-hmm. music people. Um, yeah, I think she was the first. Um, and, you know, again, it was the time I was discovering new kinds of music. So mm-hmm. at this at this stage, I think I also really got into Janis Joplin. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'd start listening to her and I would tell my parents, like, Janis Joplin is so good. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know. <laughs> we know Janis <laughs> Joplin's good. So I really got into her. I think I started listening to, like, Stevie Nicks. And, yeah, so I was just kind of into that female singer-songwriter vibe. And as soon as I started listening to Tori Amos, she was just like nothing. She was like no one I'd ever heard before. Right. Her voice was so different and so interesting to me. And just the the piano that she plays um, with her songs is so dramatic. And I was just so taken in by the whole album. It was the first album and probably one of the only few albums that I've ever just listened to every single song on the album, like cover to cover, know yeah. every song. Um, I don't typically do that. Like I'll, you know, pick the songs that I like, but this one, I would just listen from start to finish. And it's funny when I was revisiting it, I, you know, listened back to it. It's been a while since I've listened to it all the way through, but I still know every word, every beat, every piano chord. I, it just is so ingrained in my memory. So it was great to revisit it again. Yeah. That sense memory for, for these kind of important albums is we've all had that, I think, listening to. Um, one album or another on here do you um yeah. and i can totally see like how brought me back this would like be impactful to a middle school girl i feel like this, yeah she, for sure. you know it's it's like mature and mm-hmm. kind of weird in a good way and really kind yeah. of off the beaten path um yep and if i guess it feels adult too in a way it for sure it yeah. felt very adult and it felt you know it's like an angsty time and mm-hmm. she certainly has <laughs> lots of emotion strong yeah. emotion she's pouring into these songs and um yeah and also she's quirky like she's off the beaten path for sure she's she's different she's like yep. no one i had ever um known at that point um i guess the comparison 
that I kind of made at that point was to Kate Bush, just yep. because my dad listened to Kate Bush a lot. And yeah. I kind of saw the, um, the comparison there, which now looking back, certainly they're very, you know, they have lots of similarities, but um, I think I related to that too. Just, you know, she was kind of quirky and kind of different and I like that. Yeah, I definitely thought of Kate Bush listening to this. She's definitely yeah. a, kin, a kin, uh, kindred spirit. Mm -hmm. I think it's that. safe to say that UK market thing might have been influenced by Kate Bush. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> We've got one of these <laughs> already. True. Let's see if we could do an American one of them. <laughs> For have sure. You, have you stayed a fan uh, through through the first three albums? Are you listening? Have you listened to our more recent albums or anything like that? You know, I have to say, I, I started with this album, immediately got into Under the Pink, which I also absolutely love it has probably my favorite tori amos song on there um and then uh that pretty good year okay is just one of my favorites i had nice. a friend that used to play that on the piano and it, it was, it's just such a beautiful song hmm. um and then right when boys for pele came out i got really into that too so i think it was just those three albums really after that i kind of fell off and i i know she's had so many albums since then so i haven't stayed that um, connected to her music since mm -hmm. then, um, but these for these first three albums, I was just listening to on repeat. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Have you seen her live before? I haven't. I almost had the opportunity to see her live, and I wish that I did. I was. That's one thing I was going to ask you. If during your research you came across any videos of her live performances, because there's a, yeah, there's a bunch on YouTube, but I didn't watch. Yeah, anything. yeah she is incredible like she i would say she's probably better she sounds even better live than she does on her her albums which is you know impossible and you can really see what a talented like classically trained <laughs> vocalist and musician that she is she sounds so clear mm -hmm. every note is i mean she varies her songs a little bit live but She's so clear. She has such control in her voice. And her voice is just amazing. I mean, she's got that range from like that high soprano and then she goes real low um, and she's kind of all over the place. And it, it's just captivating to watch her perform live. And just visually, she's <laughs> so interesting. She's got that fiery red hair. Mm -hmm. She's got bright red lipstick. She's so dramatic when she's playing the piano and I mean, she's just like very, very um, interesting in her live performances. I'll say that. Moving all around, playing the piano and just really. Cool. Yeah, I, I imagine she would put on a really good live show. And especially with like yeah. a fan base that's really dedicated to her. That always makes makes it I, kind of more interesting. I would yeah. recommend recently she did a tribute to Dolores O'Riordan when she passed away. Oh. Um, oh. Sort of kindred spirits as well. Uh, and mm -hmm. Sinead O'Connor even more recently oh, wow. and so i came across you know her doing songs of them and the sinead o'connor one um, mm -hmm. you know they're kind of fellow travelers in terms of being iconoclasts and if you're gonna start mm -hmm. somewhere recently i'd um i'd go there but yeah i mean that that 90s period of her she's a powerhouse yeah um, mm -hmm. so I, I will i will say check it out if you haven't already because <laughs> it does add a special sauce yeah those yeah, yeah those i wish wrecks. i could have uh seen her live at some point well there's still there's still time I was about still, to say still there's still time that's I true saw, she toured in 2023 i saw so i'm sure oh, she'll, really? she'll tour again this yeah. is gonna be 
my you know time to to get back into the Tory fandom for sure. Yeah, yep. <laughs> get on it. She could. Uh, people are passing left and right these days. So, <laughs> I you know. know. Never oh my know. Gosh. Especially after Josh talks about him, the Grim Reaper over here. He's always talking about dead people. That's We'll have yeah. to run the stats on that. I don't think that's true at all. <laughs> How often no, has Josh long... killed an artist on CTS? Long live Tori. <laughs> yeah, really. So, Chelsea, this time listening to it, you know, coming to it with adult mm-hmm. experiences yeah. and, and mm-hmm. reactions, what, what did mm-hmm. you think this time around? I mean, again, I, it, it transported me back to you know, when I first started listening to the album and it is funny now to listen to it as an adult with, you know, more of a critical ear. I wasn't yeah. exactly analyzing it like that um, as a kid, but um, it just struck me again, how she, you know, in, in the flow of this album, she has so many different styles. Like it's not mm-hmm. consistent in one type of style. She has um, songs like, you know, silent all these years and winter, which are just beautiful piano songs you know Mm. really soft and beautiful and then out of nowhere comes happy phantom where you're like huh this is this is interesting this is a little bit different it's like a bouncy kind of piano um tune and then um you know more dramatic um songs like uh precious things and little earthquakes i mean she really just kind of goes all over the place with her style um and Yeah. And another thing that I love about her music is, you know, she'll start a song in one style, you know, soft piano, kind of almost whispering in some points. Mm. And then all of a sudden in the middle, there was just an abrupt turn to like dramatic piano. Her voice changes. She starts singing like really loud and making like all kinds of weird (laughs) sounds with her voice. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, my favorite is, I think it's, uh, is it Precious Things where she has just like that primal wail in the middle of the song. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she, she definitely takes, and especially in her later albums, um, there, you see much more examples of this where the song starts one way, it completely changes like three times throughout the song and doesn't even sound like the same song, but then she kind of returns to the beginning and I, I just always love that it's kind of always unexpected with her yeah they the songs have these like this dramatic build to them and, and yeah like, there's big crescendos and kind of like yeah all the feelings come out at, at once yeah uh, she like yeah. freaks out for a little bit and then she's, yep. she's back <laughs> reigns it back in yeah yeah Almost and boys like um, for Pele yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good one boys for Pele you really see um this taken to a new level with her you know how the songs just go in five different directions and you're like am i still listening to the same song Mm. (laughs) um but you get a little taste of that in in uh this album too so you think that album kind of i I saw somewhere reading a review of this Mm -hmm. that like this album is her most accessible album do you think for sure the later albums kind of become more experimental in some way for sure. I mean, this is like the the gateway into her music. Um, yeah. y- you probably don't want to start with Boys for Pele because she gets progressively more quirky and like a little bit wacky in her songs. But again, that's what people love about her. She's right. just very unexpected and eccentric and um, her music's so unexpected. But um, this album, I think, definitely has the widest appeal. Um, it, when I first started listening to it, 
I Crucify was the song that I had heard before. So that definitely, mm-hmm. that got some radio play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Silent All These Years, I think is a song that a lot of people can can hang with. Right. Um, but, and Tear in, Tear in Your Hand is another one that I thought could have been like a radio play song. Um, but yeah, as she gets further along in the albums, especially with Boys for Pele, gets, she starts bringing in like the harpsichord and oh. that, that starts getting pretty intense. And, you know, she really uh, leans into like those, her, using her voice in different ways. She's making like a lot of guttural like <laughs> sounds in her singing and going up and going down. And um, I, I love it. Like, I love that album. But I think, you know, I had some friends that were into her. And when they got to Boys for Pele, they were like, I don't know. I, I don't think I can hang with this anymore. This is getting a little weird. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that you need to have a, a special place to, to continue on down that path with her. Yeah, bri- bridge too far maybe for some people. Yeah, <laughs> don't start there. Start with this one. Nice. So, Matt, what about you? What did you think about listening to Little Earthquakes? Yeah, so I, I, so oddly enough, my we were talking about before this we yeah. started recording. My sister's a big Tori Amos fan. I actually texted her when I started listening to this, and I was like, "Are you still a Tori Amos fan?" And she's like, "Yes." <laughs> and she's like, "Under the or, Under the Pink turns thirty or turns thirty this week uh, or whatever." So and I just looked up, and they just yeah, January thirty first wow. at uh, thirty years old. So we are we're that's yeah sweet. we're just all these albums are like thirty years old, forty mm-hmm. years old. It's like yeah, that's bullshit but um so i never really <laughs> oh. listened to tori amos you know my sister my sister did um like you you guys chelsea and john my our rooms mm-hmm. were next to each other so i would hear things here and there and just upon you know on surface level passing by or hearing things i wasn't really uh, this this was not resonating with me at the time that my <laughs> sister was listening to this so i kind of was just like ah oh, you know whatever i just you were too too in off. your toxic masculinity at that that's time. exactly <laughs> right i was very much in my very toxic masculinity then so weren't feeling those like angsty preteen girl <laughs> no vibes. it wasn't the ang- no the angsty angsty girl vibe no he was feeling it just for the men he was feeling yeah I, yeah. yeah he had i like my men. angst yeah. as a with men um <laughs> sorry, sorry, right good. up to new metal for him too yeah. <laughs> um so, and I never, and I never, it's, it's another one of those things, right? Like uh, going to college, all of my friends, music friends, nobody was like a big, that I knew of was like either a big Tori Amos fan or one that was playing it around me or encouraging me to listen to her. So it just never, it never hit on my radar. So this is the first time I've really listened to this record. Uh, my initial reaction was, okay, Kate Bush, right? Like it's yeah. like right off the mm-hmm. beginning, Crucify. It's like, and now I know Kate Bush because we covered a couple of her records and it's, it's very much in that, you know, it's kind of that uh, it's dramatic, right? Her sound is, I would, I would call it, it's, it's very dramatic theatrical in, in a lot of places as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very eerie and spooky. You know, there's a lot of minor, a lot of songs in minor keys, minor chords, and which I generally like, right? Um, it's, it's kind mm-hmm. of got this, there's like a, a sinister vibe amongst a lot of these uh, songs as well. Um, uh, and so, and, and then also drawing like more contemporary artists that or you know that Josh was you know certainly Fiona Apple kind of came up as somebody that that yep. that a lot of parts here were were resonating <laughs> with me and and some of the a n- number of the other artists that you mentioned so so I did really like this particularly the first half I thought that that was definitely stronger than the second half um, I mm-hmm. agree with you Chelsea I like how there there's a lot of variety on here I mean it's still at its core it's 
Tori Amos on, at the piano, but um, she's she is exploring a lot of different sounds, a lot of different almost genres, and just incorporating you know orchestras and mm-hmm. and guitars mm-hmm. and drums and you know just kind mm-hmm. of contributing to it. Or she's or it's just her and you know in a piano, right? Um, and uh, I I really the, the, it's a really interesting record. There's a lot of cool things happening here, and. Um, you know, I, I I really enjoyed the first, yeah, the first, God, the first six songs. Like that whole first mm. side is just like Murderer's Row of great songs. I loved Precious Things was a crazy song. That one kind of took yeah. me by surprise. I actually was thinking later on this week, I was as it kind of is building and building and doing all these crazy things. I'm like, I honestly felt like it's a little Radiohead-esque in the sense that like, hmm. it, it not just their drama, it doesn't... S- in and of itself, it doesn't sound like a Radiohead song, but but kind of the movements and where they place, like, just here's this big, all, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this guitar riff, this or this guitar yeah. chord that just sustains, and it's like, okay, and then it becomes orchestral, and it's like all these movements and stuff like that, and it's it's kind of got a complexity that something like a Radiohead would do. Um, so I thought that that was, was, was very cool. I do like her voice, um, and I, I would imagine that seeing her live would be quite uh, mm-hmm. impressive as well. I mean, just... just she's got to be moving so fast up and down the piano with her, with her, with her hands and stuff like that. And certainly if you probably want to see her, you, I would want to have a vantage point of seeing her play, you know, when, when yeah. somebody like this, she sit, sit st- uh, stage left, Chelsea, if you ever get, get stage left, yeah. so you can see her going, you know, with her hands and stuff like that. Um, sure. Yeah. Oddly enough, my sister's never seen her either. So I was like, how do you, you gotta go see her, you know? <laughs> I know. Uh, and she, and I she mean... also, go ahead. No, I'm saying, I'm sure that is just, such a yeah i think her live performances just really show how yeah. unbelievable i mean she is i think she's like a musical prodigy i mean she was like five when like she it. was accepted yeah. to some you know fancy music school and um you can really yeah, tell i mean right. just seeing her yeah yeah and seeing her you know sing and how talented she is at the piano i i yeah got one day yeah yeah um so yeah so i I really did like it it lost me a little bit kind of toward you know in the second half um particularly the one two punch of leather and mother um i wasn't Mm -hmm. feeling those as much uh leather was kind of like it's almost like something from a show tune a little bit like it's it kind of seems a little a little out of place even though it's a record full of songs that are from you know kind of all over the place it just it didn't that that kind of thing didn't hit me what she was doing there didn't hit me as much. And then Mother was, a, it, it was good. It was just, it was a little long. It's almost seven minutes long. And uh, I just, I didn't, I wasn't hooked in as much with that as I was with a number of the other songs. Um, loved Tear in Your Hand. That was great. That My sister said that's one of her all-time mm. favorite breakup songs is how mm. she described that. So, oh, um, so and then Me and a Gun, I, I, the, oh. the acapella spoken word I, uh, that didn't that, that was that's like a skippable track for me it's just um as you guys know i like the music it's she's got a good voice but it's uh, i'm not really here for that necessarily but i love the way that it ends with little earthquakes so um so overall very solid record um i get it now after all these years of just like not thinking about this at all but yeah very solid thumbs mm-hmm. up uh very interesting uh record and uh kind of unique we haven't really covered a ton like this I, I would probably say the closest that we have covered to this would certainly be kate bush um you know but uh i i did quite i did enjoy this quite a bit yeah what about you john yeah i i kind of look at tori amos as interesting in that she continues down that road of the the female singer songwriter right so in terms of our journey i'd say start at laura nero who i think she has a lot of commonalities with in Mm -hmm. terms of her Mm -hmm. voice 
I think there's similarities there. Moving into the Joni Mitchell, Carol King lane, right? The confessional singer songwriter, you know, that's where, and Laura Neer is that too, but Joni Mitchell with the way she uses her voice as a, a sort of a, an extra instrument, right? And takes different takes and, and delves into right. different styles and Carol King with the traditional songwriting. Cause even though there's all these things, it's actually tied to a pretty basic pop song structure right but in it she's deviating all over the place within four minute songs right mm -hmm. she's not going nine minutes or you know one minute thing she's largely mm -hmm. staying in pop conventions you know then fast forward obviously we've mentioned kate bush in the sense that there's and i also want to mention that she is a lineage to another thing that i'll get to in a second that she shares with kate bush but yeah kate bush sonically suzanne vega is another person mm -hmm. we covered who I think she has a lot of similarities to. Um, and then you get her, you know, and then I would argue that she continues a lineage that is then followed by people that come shortly afterwards that, you know, Fiona Apple, you mentioned, is the probably the easiest one, but Feist is another person I think shares some similarities. There's a little bit of similarity um, with... Uh, with a lot of different mm -hmm. people I could sort of delve into. Like Regina Spector, I think I've heard Regina Spector, St. Vincent, there's a little bit mm -hmm. of overlap with, I think, at times too. But so she's a continuation of that. Then she's also a continuation of this, I make music that is as a decidedly feminine and uh, mm. from a women's perspective, but I want no part of like being a traditional feminist. I'm a third wave feminist. You know what I mean? And like, I, so, and she's very outspoken about that and always has had kind of like a difficult relationship with feminists, right? Which she shares in common with Joni Mitchell, who famously hmm. did not want to wear that, right? Shares in common with Kate Bush, who remember, she's like, no, like I'm David Bowie. I'm not yeah. Carol <laughs> King, right? Like I make music mm -hmm. for aliens and everybody, not, you know, for, you know, I'm not going to carry the women bridge. Like I want to be free of that you know like and stuff yeah. it's but they were decidedly feminine tori amos is that lane if we continue later right someone like lana del rey has taken that tori, right, yeah. you know what i mean like i'm I not making music for just women i'm a woman and i'm sexy and i write about female themes but i decidedly also want to embrace like this nuance sometimes even traditional view of women so she's in that lineage as well mm -hmm. And then she's also in this lineage of like women of rock in the 90s, which we're just tapping into right now because we haven't gotten to uh, some people we didn't mention that I think she shares some commonalities with too. PJ Harvey, a lot. Oh, As I yeah. listen to this album, mm -hmm. I'm like, boy, she has a lot in common with PJ Harvey in that they write a lot of songs about sex, but they're obtuse songs about sex. And also they're mm -hmm. like weirdly childlike as well. And that's when you mm -hmm. guys were saying, oh, it's adult themes. There are. Like, I'm going to write mm -hmm. about my rape. But there's a childlike yeah. nature to Tori Amos, too. And that's where she shares something in common, I think, with PJ Harvey and Kate Bush, who at times come across mm -hmm. like almost like, you know, nature child. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. part right. woman, part fully realized woman, part, you know, little girl, childlike wonder at times. Mm -hmm. And listening to this album, I know you said menacing. Matt and like I get it like there there is but I didn't feel as much ominous as I feel like it's more like a sense of wonder but the wonder coming from all different types of things lyrically um you know she's dropping and you mentioned this Chelsea we were talking about it um tear mm -hmm. in your hand right is her first 
you know, Nine Inch Nails reference there. And she's, you know, often writing to Trent Reznor in there. And there's some lyrics in there. I was chuckling knowing that because there's oh, a yeah. direct reference to Nine Inch Nails in there. Um, I have a and funny aside to that, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she I'll, had I'll, a... Mm-hmm. Go, Go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I'm I was going to say, I was going to mention that, that she had a friendship with Trent Reznor and they both would reference each other in their songs at times. Mm. Um, and interestingly enough... I think he mentioned in an interview their their friendship kind of got had a rift at some point, which I think he mentioned in a in a magazine interview at one point was caused by Courtney Love meddling in some way, and um, <laughs> of course, which I of think course. is like the most '90s story ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a song uh, on Voice for Pele, "Professional Widow," that they think she wrote about her, um, and kind yes. of you know they whatever she did. They have yeah. uh, Courtney Love's got like three or four major feuds <laughs> and like all oh, of Riot sure. Girl, you know, like all of the Riot Girl acts like Kathleen Hannon stuff's one of hers. And yeah, Tori Amos is another famous one uh, that she has. Yeah. But but going back to so thanks for adding that because that, that adds <laughs> the color there. I, I, I'm going to I'm going to end with this. I, I Obviously, I like this album because strange outside the box female albums are kind of like my lane at different stuff. And that's what this is another um in a, in all the right ways, right? I love like interesting, you know, from from outside of the norm mm-hmm. views of topics that are universal, but you're like, this is, I want to hear what this person's take on these is because it's not going to be, a, it's going to be atypical, which I love people coming from that. That's where she shares something similar with Fiona Apple who kind of does the same thing. But I just, mm-hmm. I want to end with, I think it's going to be really interesting to see all of these different views of, how to do women in rock like because you know we're gonna see liz fair soon who's like sort of this like every guy's dream rocker chick right writing confectional songs right like blatantly explicitly right like songs Mm -hmm. there then you're gonna see like pj harvey who's almost like non-binary at times like with how she does it she could be like super sexy and feminine and then also like very guttural and like aggressive like taking on Mm -hmm. man traits like tori amos is sort of like art house but also resilient then you've got like sarah mclaughlin natalie merchant like mother feminism gonna you know be more first wave feminism like girl power you've got an african-american feminism coming you've got like the courtney love like unapologetic feminism and you get like all of these you get gwen stefani right who's bringing like a i'm you know, strong, but also like, I like the idea of getting married and having three kids and I sing about it often. And there's all of these different versions of like what being a woman is where I think we can all admit that almost everybody says like in the 60s, 70s and 80s, you were either like, you know, (laughs) a matron, right? A sex symbol or like odd. And you, you got to like sort of operate like out and like some people got to be the lane where they didn't totally get judged by how they look. And like, we can count on one hand who they were, right? Kate Bush, Joni Mitchell, there's a couple and like only a few of them get to that rarefied air, right? It was either like, you're talented, but you're like not attractive or like at some degree, it's always going to be about looks. And the nineties is sort of where, you know, someone like Tori Amos sort of was definably feminine but also, and attractive in a, in a classic way in some ways, but also you never like 
process Tori Amos as a sex symbol, like, at the time. And that's really a thing that I think is starting to come into place in the 90s. So, uh, but yeah, this is a thumbs up for me. This is a really good album. And I know I didn't go into the, the particulars mm -hmm. of the music of it, and I can go there, but I, I want to give Josh a take, and there's four of us, so it's a little bit. Uh, yeah. And Matt, and Matt mm -hmm. and Chelsea did a good job of describing how this album sounds, and I would largely agree with what they said. Yeah, add, adding mm -hmm. to what you guys said, I also really like this album. I found... We haven't heard too many artists that are so um, foundationally piano as kind of the primary focus. Mm. It's always kind of an accompaniment often in in albums that we hear. So it's not a, it's not always like a strong, um, uh, you know, main focus of an album. And, and so I thought that was a that was an interesting appreciation, um, appreciative uh, deviation from what we normally listen to um i her lyrics and themes are so self-confessional in nature that it's it's uh i don't know i really responded to it in sort of a like reading a diary sort of way and and it's so kind of intense at times on this album um you know especially me and a gun which is mm -hmm. about her her rape and once i picked up on that you know, mm -hmm. lyrically, it, it kind of like took it to another level for me. Um, I actually yep. didn't know her music at all. I, I knew her uh, in reference because uh, Neil Gaiman, one, an author and comic book writer, um, based uh, mm -hmm. a comic character on her, Delirium. And so she name checks him in Tear in Your Hand. And yep. um, they're a couple like friends. Songs, yeah. And so I kind of only knew her based on that character and not her music. So that that's kind of funny. But um, I really like how she arranges the songs. I really like the strings that she, that she adds to um, back the piano. It, t it adds like a grander nature to the songs. And, you know, it, it's dark at times too, but, but not like so dark that it's oppressive. It's, it's, I don't know. It's true. in in some way it's a, uh, it's realistic. And that's why when something like happy phantom came on, it felt more <laughs> kind of like a relief in a way. And, and, um, that's not to say the album is heavy, but I, I appreciate the the range of kind of emotions and places she's willing to go. Um, I agree with you, Matt. I think the front half is kind of my favorite, but then like the back half, the back part with "Tear in Your Hand," "Me and a Gun," and a little and little earthquakes is is a a real great capper um, to to finish off the album. I, I guess it's really kind of the middle three songs that I didn't have as much uh, of a connection to but you know she's writing about religion she's writing about her rape she's writing about childhood and growing up and motherhood and all these kind of big themes and she does it really well and in, in kind of an appealing way i got the kate bush Would you say, connection I, too i think where but, she's similar to pj harvey is desire for things like all kinds of things is a central tori amos theme i think like yeah. Desire for understanding, spiritual fulfillment, relationships, motherhood at times, all these things, right? I thought that was like the central theme of her songwriting. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't I'm not familiar with PJ Harvey, so we'll see when we get to to that album, but yeah, this is a great album. It's a great first album and I'm excited to kind of listen to listen to the next one and see see where she goes. I think if you like this album, you'll like Under the Pink too. I think okay. it's, um, you know, it's got some different songs on there. And like I said, she gets progressively just a little, um, you know, pushing the envelope in certain ways. But mm -hmm. I, I think it it's a good, like, transition to that album. I think you'll like it. 
nice yeah that sounds good any final thoughts before we close out for me i'm just you know happy to hear that you all liked the album too i was curious to see what your thoughts would be um so i'm glad you liked it it's like i said it's such an important album to me when i think back to you know my musical history of my life and um it was really fun to go back and listen to it again and now i'm like reinvested and listening to all of her music and <laughs> yeah. maybe i'll check out some of her later You'll go on the deep dive too. yeah well, and, <laughs> probably, and it's funny no too more. how like I was, I was just gonna say it's funny too how you know because i've had this experience too where you're saying oh yeah. the first three albums i love so much it's so great it's so meaningful to me and then <laughs> when you think about what came after that or like what she's done recently or you know the artist that 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 artist that we love so much at a point in our lives and then it's just like for whatever reason they fall off our radar and we're like are they even still making yeah. music you're like what are they doing you know and so it's 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 a it's an interesting dichotomy that i i, I certainly have fallen into that before as well yeah same well and and I've been doing a deep dive of the albums nominated for album of the year this year, listening to them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's very notable as we do this that five of the seven were female singer songwriters: Taylor Swift, Olivia Rodrigo, Lana Del Rey, Janelle Monae, and um, mm -hmm. uh, who am I missing? Uh, Miley Cyrus, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. five of the seven are to some degree, right? Uh, yeah, for the Grammys, you mean? So the Grammys, yeah, yeah, yeah Grammys, yep. So. I think it's interesting. That's where we're at in music now. This doesn't stand alone. Yeah, you know, really. or, or this type of music is is the primary music driving the critical charts now. Yeah. I hope there's another little girl out there putting on incense in her room and shutting the door and just vibing <laughs> yeah. to these. <laughs> I'm sure that's happening. That has to be happening. It's, it's out there somewhere. Yeah. 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 The world needs more uh, Tori Amos fans. Sure. Well, th thanks so much for coming on, Chelsea. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and giving us your thoughts. And uh, it was fun hearing kind of your experience with the album and, and revisiting it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So I'm going to start off here with uh, Jawbreaker for the first time with their album. How do you guys pronounce How would you pronounce this? Does Bivouac. anybody know? Yeah, good, Josh. Okay, it's Bivouac. And I knew that. I had to watch the documentary to figure it out. But anyway, uh, I had in the opening montage, I had Shield Your Eyes. And now you're going to hear a clip from Chesterfield King. I took my car Okay, so Bivouac by Jawbreaker comes in at number 3,417 in the 1990s on Best Ever Albums, number 316 in 1992, number 20,687 of all time. It's Jawbreaker's fourth highest rated album, which means it's they only have four albums, so it's also their least highest rated album behind um, 1990s Unfun, 1994's 24-Hour Re Revenge Therapy, and 1995's Dear You. Um, Bivouac did not make uh, Rolling Stones list and Jawbreaker is ranked as the number 1,573rd highest rated artist on best ever albums. So um, this is the first time we're covering them. It's their second studio album out of a total of four. was released on December 1st, 1992. And the genres that Jawbreaker are considered to fall into include emo, punk rock, pop punk, hardcore punk, and post-hardcore. 
they don't have I didn't couldn't find any singles that charted or like highest charting. They didn't they were not a charting band, <laughs> I yeah. think it's fair to say. Um and influences include Bad Religion, The Descendants, Husker Du, The Ramones, The Pogues, Black Flag, The Replacements, and REM. Uh, similar peers of theirs include Pennywise, Fugazi, No Effects, uh, and Blink-182. And artists that they inf- influenced include Jimmy Eat World, AFI, At the Drive-In, Fall Out Boy, Newfound Glory, Paramore, My Chemical Romance, and The Get Up Kids. And um, I recommend the documentary that I was able to watch the other day. It's called Don't Break Down. It's on, um, you can get it on Amazon Prime. Okay, great. And I thought the documentary, it was a very good documentary. It was, a, it was really interesting because there's, there's some interesting stuff with this band. Um, so the short of it is they were formed in 1986 in, uh, by childhood friends Blake Schwarzenbach. These guys all have amazing last names, Schwarzenbach. <laughs> Uh, he was a guitarist and the lead vocalist, and his childhood friend Adam Failer, who was a drummer, um, and they are originally from Santa Monica, California. They ended up both moving to New, uh, New York to attend NYU, and that's where they decided to form this band. Um, they started looking for a bassist, and they found their bassist by responding to an ad that the bassist had put, uh, and uh, he, the name of that bassist is Chris Bauermeister. And he had listed uh, in his ad, all, quote, all the right bands that they were that they were into as well. So they called him up and Bauermeister joins the band. They originally called themselves Rise and they tried out many vocalists um, before actually settling on um, Bauermeister's childhood friend, a guy by the name of John Liu. So he joins the band very briefly because shortly after that, Schwarzenbach, um, they recorded one of his songs, actually Shield for Your Eyes, which is um, on this on this record. It was a demo that they had recorded and he sang on it. And that's when the band realized that this is this is going to be our sound right with his. He's got a very, uh, you know, raspy voice. Um, I wouldn't say he's screaming, but it's definitely not a not a crisp voice by any stretch. Um, and they realized that uh, and John Lou's like, yeah, I can't really replicate that. So he i don't know if he left or they kicked him out but he was he was a very short-lived member of the band so Mm -hmm. they 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 finalized their 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 classic line their only lineup really um so they're touring a little bit um and so kind of off the get-go there's 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 some uh there's some animosity that's growing between particularly uh bauermeister and schwarzenbach that would kind of you know uh ebb and flow over the years um they they had a summer tour in 1990 but then they they broke up after that after the tensions kind of got a little too high but then they were able to reconcile they relocated to san francisco where they found a better um you know more welcoming fan base if you will and that's also where like bands like green day were you know playing you know at gilman street which is one of the yeah. biggest pu- uh, punk venues you know around this time so um so uh a couple of interesting st- uh, notes about this so after the record release of bivouac uh schwarzenbach had to actually go undergo surgery to remove a large polyp in his throat um they had a tour that they were going on and they and his voice was starting to he was starting to have issues with his voice and he realized that this was something that wasn't really going to go away that would probably be need, need to be addressed um they also had a tour in europe already booked so they were in europe um, when really it, it kind of all came to a head and they finally realized like this, he can't, he can't continue with this. So he almost, he had the equivalent of almost emergency surgery to have this huge polyp removed um, from his throat. And I guess they said afterwards, right after the surgery, he had to train his voice to go back to this register because his voice rose by two octaves, which I was like, holy crap, that's, that's wow. very high. Um, 
So yeah, so he was so all was well after that. Um, the title of this album comes from a term describing an organic structure formed by ant colonies to protect the queen. So <laughs> I've never heard of a bivouac, but that's what it is. Um, and then also, this is the only time we're covering them, so we have to mention this. So they they started getting a little bit of notoriety, and they ended up opening for Nirvana in 1993 for about a week um, when Nirvana was touring behind uh, in utero. Mm. And uh, that's when the fan base started seeing the writing on the wall because these guys are punks, and what what are punks not supposed to do? They're not supposed to sell out and sign to major labels. And they felt that, like, oh, man, here's here's this band going to going to uh you know open for nirvana and they're going to get signed by this major label hmm. uh despite um schwarzenbach saying at 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 live shows we are not and never will sign to, to a major label and did in fact sign to a major label uh D dgc for a million dollars and that was what their final record was released on that dear you album which is a much different sounding record than the one we're covering today and that's where all help the band, the, the the fans really turned on them. They, you know, um, they people would purposefully buy tickets to their show, and then when they would play songs from that album, uh, they would all turn their backs to them. Like so, Jeez. people bought tickets to like throw stuff at them and like berate them and stuff. And uh, and it and it uh, you know it didn't end too well. So um, and by the end of it, you know, uh, Bauermeister and Schwarzenbach were really not getting along. They got into this big like fist fight, and so they broke up. You know, and um, but happy to say that they have re reconciled. They have uh, toured recently, and uh, there's even talk of maybe a fifth album down the road sometime. But um, and now no one cares if you sell out or not. And now no one cares if you sell out. And, and that album, Dear You, which everybody, all their true fans hated, have now come around to like it more and appreciate it more. And it's considered one of the best. It's the, like you look at all these lists of the best emo albums of all time. Uh, okay. It's it's it, it that album makes many of those lists and and very ranked very highly, like top ten emo albums of all time. So, so there you go, Jawbreaker. Um, let's go with uh, uh, who wants to? Uh, let's go with um, John on this one. John, what do you think of uh, Jawbreaker? So yeah, this is an interesting one because this falls in the Fugazi category where I'm more familiar with the idea of the band than I am of the band mm. itself. And when I think of Jawbreaker, I think of two things because they're having like a huge renaissance right now. They're, they're, they've got the big star narrative a little bit where it's like, here was this band that existed at a time and the narrative is now like, and they were great, but no one knew they were great. Yeah. And they were kind of tragic. So they're in that big star replacements realm i think yes. of different stuff they're being reimagined i also always knew them because at the same time that this was happening the jawbreaker was happening to green day too but green day sort of i think they got kicked out of gilman street right green day for going yeah they were both uh yeah they no the fans turned on both of them yes for sure right so to me they're sort of the same lineage the difference is green day exploded and sold 70 patrillion albums because they sounded like the clash right and I didn't know Jawbreaker. I just I think I thought they also sounded like The Clash or The Buzzcocks. And I'm like, no, they sounded like Fugazi. And that's why they didn't sell yeah. a million albums, because they sound more like Fugazi. So it's like, OK, I get it now a little bit. So it was very hard the first time I listened to this to uncouple this from Fugazi, because I thought it was in the same lane. And I'll be very honest with you. I felt it suffered a little bit from that specific comparison. Because I don't, there was something I felt like Fugazi had in terms of energy and rawness to it that I felt was missing a tiny bit from this album. But then 
the more I listened to it, the more I started to see it as its own entity, kind yeah. of. And I was able to uncouple, okay, here's the hardcore influence. Here's the punk influence. Um, and sort of listen to it just as like a jawbreaker album along the way. And I started to enjoy it because there's a, there's a tonality that's under – a melody that's under the, the, the abrasion a, a little bit. It's that, let me start by saying it's not an abrasive album. It's relatively accessible for the, the type of music it is. Now, if yeah. you're someone who needs you know, honey-laden hooks and sound, and it, this is not going to be for you. But for those that can um, deal with a little bit more rough edges, I'd say, and a little bit – a little bit more harshness. This is on the, the accessible end of harshness. Um, lyrically, um, it's confessional. And I was like, okay, there's the emo part of it. And you can see it definitely fault. We haven't used this word in a while. It's proto, right? Because yeah. you wouldn't yeah. recognize this as emo compared to what it is later. I Correct. was familiar with the major label album. And yeah, it does sound different than this. And you definitely would connect that to emo. Um, and it's like, yeah, that's okay. I get that. But yeah, this one still sounds a lot more like a hardcore album, I would say, than it sounds like a um, uh, like an emo album. Uh, but that line has – the line of demarcation there isn't as clear as you would think um, in terms of those. They blend together a little bit. Um, I'd say still, though, at the end of it, it would fall into just a light thumbs up for me, which was a little disappointing because I think on paper – this is a band I should have liked more than I did. And I got curious and I'm because I saw what you guys saw, that this was their lowest ranked album of all of them. I'm like, huh, I wonder what that is. And I did listen to parts of their other albums and I did enjoy all of their other albums more than I enjoyed this album. And so I wonder if maybe it was just an accident of timing that I picked the one that that doesn't connect quite as much. I, I There is a theme of a little bit of turmoil in this. So I was wondering about the bad narrative here when you have songs like PS New York is burning and peel it the fuck down and stuff. It's like, okay, there's a theme here. Shield your eyes, right? There's definitely a lyrical theme. And I would say, um, uh, lyrically, I feel there's, there's a chaos to it. And I don't know if it's because of that dual reality of like, they were a huge band in a scene and they're already starting to break apart from that scene or, they're trying to get their musical identity. I did feel like that thematically was a little bit of what we were going for. Now, the the bivouac, do, what does that word mean? Because I did not know. And I didn't feel like the like the head with the, the boobs, right, on the front, I didn't feel like <laughs> no, I it's, anymore. It's, it's like I said, it's like that term for the ant colony. It's it's like yeah. a, it's a it's an organic structure. It's a bunch of ants pr making like a structure that protects right. the queen and the larva. And then one of the guys said something like, it's like, oh, that's kind of how we felt when we moved back to L.A. or something like that. And I was having trouble understanding that i'm like what does that mean what do you mean you you felt like an ant colony like i i, I didn't get the connection so but that's well, what and it it's is like there's a tug of war too because they're i think a lot of people and they're big in california because they're kind of claimed as a california band but you, you start to realize they're as much a new york band as they are a california band in some ways and maybe that's totally why they didn't 100 percent fit in because they do they have a feel of not being completely of one coast. I know they grew up in California and then played in that scene, but there's a New Yorkness to this. Um, that that's where they were formed, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I, you can hear it a little bit, you know, like the, the feel, they don't sound exactly like a California band. Mm. Um, so I was just wondering if, if 
the anthill metaphor was there so i guess you're saying that they felt like that's what i they were i couldn't i read a little bit about it i couldn't i couldn't put it together i think but, i know yeah. bivouac from like military terms too i think it's it's used in that context as well okay. um I don't know if there's any, a any word definition. on why they put like a, a monstrous head on a pair of huge. <laughs> nope, boobs. I didn't get I didn't get that either. So it's just like okay. it's yeah, it's like Donnie Darko or something. So slight <laughs> thumbs up, I'd say for me. Yeah, it's strange how in, in sync you and I are, John, about our thoughts on this album because I think I knew about them in name only because of uh, their association with emo and in my day emo was like a pejorative term, uh, like when. I was listening to this type of music and so I never went back and listened to it, but I had the exact same thought listening to this was, Oh, it sounds like Fugazi, but like slightly not as good. And, um, but that's not to say I, I, I did enjoy this album. I think I'm interested, like you said, when you're reading the stats, Matt, that if this is the lowest one, maybe the other ones are, are mm-hmm. better. Cause I, I felt like this was promising and I've heard so much in their music that sounded like later music that I listened to, be it like from punk or hardcore or emo. And, and so I can see why, like they're so influential that the structure of their songs is so familiar to me. I felt like I knew this band with, without knowing the band, it's the bass sounds like the way that they sing the choruses or, or deliver their vocals. Like all of it had this kind of real familiar ring to it. So as a result, I, uh, I, I feel pretty, um, positive um, about this album as a as kind of their well it's their second album but like as a first listen um, th- to this band and I think that songs like just like the songs actually that you picked are kind of a good representation of this uh, of this album and the band I saw too that um, I listened to a couple of other songs because I saw that on the LP release mm-hmm they had some covers that weren't on here. So I, I went and listened to those they are, they're also on uh, Amazon music where I listened to it and uh, on a different like EP or collection or whatever it was. But um, so I, I got a feel from them that way as well. But I just feel like the tempo, you know, that like John said, the energy is different and the energy is different than Fugazi. They're kind of a, a, like downshifted a little bit in some way. Um, not in a bad way, but I like Fugazi's energy more, I think, ultimately. But, yeah, I hear Husker do in this, too, a bit, mm-hmm. and I feel like yep, good call. The, the, the Operation Ivy, Green Day, like East Bay Sound that we've talked about, I, f- I feel like that does carry over a little bit um, to this. So, uh, yeah, it's I give it a mild thumbs up. I think it's pretty good, and um, I, I'm intrigued enough to – check out those other albums i think yeah i um i struggled with this record um i and i wanted to like it because i really liked watch like that documentary is just a very cool um insight it's it's a very good uh you know trip inside like their minds what was going on and, and mm-hmm. the scene and stuff like that and i learned a lot right it's also really interesting that because what happens in the documentaries they they bring they bring all the members back and it's like the first time that Bauermeister and, and Schwarzenbach like saw each other for in like 11 years. And there's really awkward tension, oh, you know, and it's real, and it's like, and they keep trying to get the guys to put, you want to play some song. They're in a studio. They're like, want to go out there. There's a guitar, there's a drum, like go out and play. And, uh, and, and, um, and, and Schwarzenbach and like, Schwarzenbach's like, no, I'm good. Like, I just don't want to, and they ended up, do, they finally ended up playing and it was kind of like a really cool moment at the end. But, um, it's just I found I found the whole story very interesting and I found the album 
kind of boring to be honest. Mm. I I just I I was struggling with trying to differentiate one song from the next. I was trying to find some hook or some beat or some something to kind of grab me in. Yeah. I wasn't terribly impressed with the vocals. It's not really I don't know that just there's something about the tone of his vocals that I was struggling with a little bit. And I, I agree with you, John. I don't think that there's anything abrasive about this, right? So some hardcore stuff is like, wow, that's intense, right? Like that's that's like this really hard to listen to type of song sound. I wouldn't say that that's what this is, right? There's there, there's it's it's relatively pleasant sounding in that in that regard. It just it just doesn't really move me at all. I, I found myself just very it, it it very easily faded to the background for me for whatever reason and. Um, and I am interested in, I, I think that that, um, I listened to a little bit of that um, Dear You record, the, the last one that they did that was more produced. And that one definitely seemed more appealing to me. I didn't, I got maybe three songs into it. I, I didn't fully listen to it, but um, I got a little bit more of an idea what that was like. And I wouldn't say that I loved that, but I definitely was, was moved more by that. So um, I know people love this band. I mean, people were speaking in like, this was like our, this was the band, you know, it was like the clash and the replacements and jawbreaker, oh, right? Wow. Jawbreaker was way better than green day and all this other stuff. And like, and, and so I appreciate the passion. I appreciate like how, um, you know, influential they were. And I'm, I'm glad that they're kind of back together that they're doing, you know, they seem like really nice guys, you know, um, Bauermeister's a little bit, I could see why he would be hard, a hard personality to get along with, but like, um, but Schwarzenbach's really interesting. And this is where another thing about the podcast that I learned, he, after this, after uh, jawbreaker broke up, he went on to form a band called jets to Brazil, which is a band that yeah. I know of actually. I know and I know some of their too. songs and I like them and I'm like, Oh, that's worth. Okay. The jawbreaker guys, the jets to Brazil guys. So, um, you know, so I found that that was interesting. So yeah, un unfortunately I gotta go thumbs down on this. It's, I know it's just not, it, I just had a really hard time finding any, any hook or anything to grab me in. It just kind of bled together and didn't really move me. So, uh, I'm going to be a thumbs down, unfortunately. Yeah. I remember that jets to Brazil band like yeah friends of mine liking them they've they've got a great song called crown of the valley it's it, it's the opening track of their first record and it's just got it's great it's just a really cool riff and it's 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 more in line with my style than something like this yeah. i would say yeah yeah and i totally get why you wouldn't I, I think all of those points are valid on this album, but for, you know, it's I like, think I might you, like the other ones. I'm actually kind of want to listen to the other ones, particularly the last one, because even, even the people that said that they hated that when it came out in the documentary, they were like, no, we kind of came around to this. This is a really good album, you know? So, yeah. um, so they, they, and they actually, they, after it sold like 40,000 copies, like that's it, the, 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 the record company pulled it off. And so it was out of print for many years. And so like, it became like a sought off, sought after thing that people were selling for hundreds of dollars on eBay or whatever, but they finally came around again and it started, it started making some traction and they, um, they re-released it now. So it's back in print. Um, so oh, you, nice. well, you can still get and, it. And so, I yeah. will say after I, you know, Big Star had the rap right, and after I listened to Big Star, I'm like, yeah, why weren't they bigger? They sound like this. And then we listened to the replacements. I knew the replacements, right? It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, why weren't they bigger? And I was like, okay, so Jawbreaker is probably going to be that band for the '90s. And I listened. I was like, no, I, I know why they weren't bigger. <laughs> they, yeah, like, it's there's something missing. And I still, I guess, who's holding that trophy for me in the '90s right now is Teenage Fan Club. I feel like is the band. Yeah, it's like why weren't they bigger? Yeah, so we'll see if somebody dislodges them. But unfortunately, Jawbreaker does not get that same thing to me. Yep. 
All right. On to Arrested me, right? Development. It yeah, is you, John. Arrested Not the TV development. show. Yes, we're going to, in the montage, we heard Tennessee, which is a big hit. And now we're hearing another big hit, which is Mr. Wendell. Mr. Wendell. That's his name. No one ever knew his name because he's a no one. Never thought twice about spending on an old bum until I had the chance to really get to know one. Now that I know him, to give him money isn't charity. He gives me some knowledge. I buy him some shoes. And I think blacks spend all their money on big colleges. Still, most of y'all come out confused. Go ahead, Mr. Wendell. Matt, run those numbers, man. All right, three years, five months, and two days in the life of comes in at number 811 in the 1990s on Best Ever Albums, number 87 in 1992, number 4,649 of all time. It is Arrested Development's highest-rated album on Best Ever Albums. Uh, did not make Rolling Stones list, and Arrested Development is ranked as the number 4,649th highest-rated artist on Best Ever Albums. Okay, so seven studio albums for Arrest Development. If you count wow. the Unplugged album, it's eight. Hmm. Um, this is their first, so it is a debut for them from 1992. Their most recent one was in 2022 called For the FKN Love. So for the fucking love, I guess, would be how we're going to go with that. So that's their albums. Um, similar to... Some bands we've, some groups we've covered before, like a tribe called Quest, and uh, it looks like Far Side and stuff like that. But some other groups we haven't covered or different stuff that's there: Diggable Planets, Fuji, Spearhead, The Roots um, are groups that often are brought up. The Jungle Brothers, right, is another one that comes up yep. there. Influenced by De La Soul, Public Enemy, literally directly, because that's why they formed. Um, tribe called Quest, Sly and the Family Stone, and Bob Marley. They have some followed buys, but I don't agree with any of these followed buys that they have. So I'm going to leave them off. The only one I can remotely see as being there is Erica Badu, which I think is fair. But I, I don't see much Black Eyed Peas or CeeLo Green in this. So we're just going to say no in terms of that. Yeah. So Maybe Goody Mob, buy. but uh, even mm -hmm. then, I don't know. Yeah, that's not one of the ones they say um, followed by. So I, mm -hmm. I have some other folks that I, I definitely could tie into that. Um, I even think there's – yeah, but anyway, we'll get there. I'll talk about it in my – my take so a uh, quick bio in terms of what we're going to be covering three years five months and two days in the life of is how long it took from the time they were formed until they signed this record contract so that is what that time frame is there this group literally was built to contrast with gangster rap that was kind of what their mission statement was they went to focus on spirituality peace and love hence the sly mm -hmm. and the family stone connection right maybe not like you know, family affair, drugged out, slime with like <laughs> right. the world that ends it more like the stand, right? Was the first one where it was, you know, yeah. a, a, a multiracial optimistic view of the world. So a little bit more of that. Um, there's three singles on this album, Tennessee, People Every Day, which of course is an inverse of Everyday People, which was a Sly and the Family Stone song. And Mr. Wendell, um, those were all big hits. I think Certainly, I know for those of us uh, watching MTV at the time, like Matt and I, those songs would be familiar, I'd say. And, um, you know, we brought on my sister. She was familiar with all of those as well. Um, this was very well received. It was actually named Record of the Year by uh, The Wire magazine and a couple other places. It ended up in a lot of top 10 lists wow. for that year. Hmm. Yep. So it was there. Um, it is an album that uh, has the rap of being more revolutionary at its time than maybe the lineage says later. Um, but 
uh, it was considered to be a major influence on, and Josh, you mentioned it, Southern rap. So things like Goody Mob, Nappy Roots, and Outkast. And to me, that is the lineage of this mm-hmm. album, followed by uh, not Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> like, I think that's where I hear it most. Um, and I do think that it was... Uh, a, a big piece of this was that this group really operated in the consciousness lane, but also outside of New York, right? Which is where a lot of the consciousness lane was coming from. So this was sort of a different part of the, the country, giving that thing. It has a little bit of a rural feel to it. Um, a couple funny things I, I'll just add in before. The, uh, the, um, the group sued Fox when Arrested Development, the show, came out. For copyright, which seems to me to be an automatic loser case because Arrested Development is literally a, a concept psychologically. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It seems like you, you're not going to win, right? Because that term wasn't developed by you. It was a psychological term. So and they didn't win. So just an FYI, I should mention that the standard uh, lineup, uh, the group was founded by Speech, the lead MC and headliner um, is the turntable. Uh, member there's a whole bunch of other members i think the two that are the most steady members are jason reichert who's known as jj boogie and farida aleem uh, but there's a ton of past members probably the most famous past member is dion ferris um who had a pretty big hit with i know i know what you do oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. so yep so if you know that song yep she was there and then uh the group did win the grammy for this for best rap performance by a duo or group in 1993 and they also won best new artist which was a pretty big award back Hmm. there this album sold six million copies um and the last thing i'll mention is the group was approached by spike lee to uh compose a song for the malcolm x movie um and they recorded revolution which was um on the album uh and so you can if you listen to malcolm x soundtrack um spike lee sought them out specifically uh the group made a follow-up to this called zingla maduni it did not sell well and the group actually broke up in 1996 after that they reunited in 2000 and uh some members did not come back others did lots of folks changed religions and started businesses and there were some health issues and there's all kinds of different stuff, but the group is still performing mm. uh, to this very day um, in a version of it. And they actually released a song as recently as December 11th of last year, hmm. uh, a song called oh, Hip Hop Saves Lives, which also featured Grandmaster Kaz and Chuck D. So um, some hmm. old school heads right there. So you can check them out in the modern day. That takes us to... The takes. I, I keep hearing Josh going, hmm, really? And <laughs> it is very interesting to me because I definitely think Matt and I are going to process this as, well, yeah, Arrest Development, this group was pretty big. and But because they've fallen off the face of the earth a little bit, yeah. I think we're getting the Josh take of, like, who is this? And, like, what? So yeah. it's already proving to be interesting. But let's give Matt the first take to kind of set the table and we'll Josh come in. Yeah, so this – and this is another one of those groups that I do remember seeing on MTV, those three songs for sure, all the time. Um, and then that was it, right? So I'm like, oh, they must not have lasted long. And then I looked up seeing like, oh, they have all these records and they're still around today. And you know, they yeah. broke up for a period of time. But the, so it's just, it's, it's just interesting how that, how, how that works, you know, like what determines that? Like, well, did they, they really get that long. much? 
in terms of their prime because they did this right one album that sold poorly and then broke up for four more years and then guess what prime over yeah exactly right so maybe it's just that like you know just this was the right time for them and yeah. uh and so i remember them i i don't remember being like oh my god i love this song but i i liked all the songs i liked you know tennessee i liked mr wendell in particular i think you know that was the one that i liked that i don't know if that's it's like a weird harpsichord kind of thing or like yeah, electronic what, what is that <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's probably like a synth or something like that, you know, yeah. but it's got a harpsichord kind of sound. That's, you know, that it's a little bouncy sound, but I, I liked that. Um, I just like the feel of that song and the tone that, you know, the kind of the upbeat, um, you know, uh, nature of that song. But I also like Tennessee and, and, and people every day. And that's, yeah, that was, that's how I was introduced to everyday people. Like, Cause I knew that I knew that song before I knew the Sly and the Family mm-hmm. Stone song. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's, a, I think that that is a good comparison point because I do remember this was lots of people in the video, male and female, you know, there was like, a, it was a collaborative kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, like it's, it's got a little bit of the Sly and the Family Stone feel in that regard. Um, but I'm seeing here it's like alternative hip hop. And that's definitely, you know, it's kind of following that lane of some of this other stuff that we've covered. Um, and I do like this, right? This is there, a lot of the songs on here. Very, they're very catchy. I like the beats are some great bass parts. You know, there's some really cool, like I really liked Give a Man a Fish. That's a, like a, a rousing, you know, kind of. Uh, you know, uh, song and it's got a great bass line to it. Um, Dawn of the Dreads also had a great, like, slower but like very, very in, uh, deep bass sound. It's like kind of like a fun, and there's like a funk bass kind of thing going on with some of the stuff too. So I like that. I like the rapping. I like the I like the, the the female singers in the background and the harmonies and whatnot. And it's a fun record, you know. Like this is just it's it's a little on the long side. I mean, kind of it's another one of those records. That it's almost an hour, so you could, probably could have trimmed a couple of songs. But I wouldn't say that there was anything on here that I was going. Oh, I I that song in particular I did not like. Um, I would say that maybe one of the differences that I picked up on this compared to some of the other, I guess you could say alternative hip hop type records that we've covered, like Tribe Called Quest or Gangstar or De La Soul. I, this didn't seem as lo-fi to me. This seemed like a little, the production seems a little crisper. Um, and, you know, as, whereas those other ones that, that kind of a little bit have more of a muted, uh, you know, lo-fi type sound. So um I still think I like the lo-fi sound better, but it makes sense that that's not done in, with this record because I think that there just seems to be, I don't know, a happier kind of sound nature to it. Um, maybe not, even though the themes are pretty serious. I mean, yeah, it's very easy to tell even for a non-lyrics person that they're very spiritual, right? It's very, mm-hmm. it's, it's very um, socially conscious. Um, but it's also musically, at least anyway, it's very, it's very upbeat and it's very, it's very fun. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. This was a, this was a great listen to, um, this week, you know, juxtaposed against the other stuff that we had. Uh, and I enjoyed it. I, I, I very much do like this, 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 this version of hip hop, this alternative hip hop is definitely in my wheelhouse. So thumbs up for me. Yeah. I guess I always telegraph my takes with my responses, don't I? When I, when I don't, when I'm not as positive on an album, I can't yeah. help huh. it. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, How's about that? Yeah. You don't and say. I, I, I guess I don't know what I was expecting with this album, but it, it wasn't, <laughs> I didn't really respond mm. to what they were delivering. I guess my main issue is, and I totally get the Sly and the Family Stone comparison. I feel like that's apt. And I, feel, I don't really feel like, I guess the problem is I don't really feel like this is a rap album. And ultimately, that's kind of where my sticking point was. I feel like it's much more musical 
and, and the rap is secondary and I feel like the rapping itself is not really that strong and I feel like there's not a lot of um content in the in the lyrics that was another thing that I had an issue with I feel like it's it's more I like that it was mixing genres it seemed like in the way some of the other albums rap albums we listen to is like there's some jazz mixed in with kind of more mm-hmm. uh, afrocentric stuff mixed with you know more soul or or funk or something like that and i appreciated that but i feel like the rap was always secondary um to whatever the vibes they were going for was and i guess that was my main sticking point or problem with this it, it just didn't feel like there was a lot um of substance to this album for me. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, I, I like the alternative hip hop label too, but I feel like tribe and De La Soul are just far superior to mm-hmm. this, this yeah. album. And I just kept going whenever I was listening to this, I was like, like Mr. Wendell, I hadn't heard that song. I did know Tennessee after I heard it. I know we, we thought, I think that was the biggest one. Yeah. I, 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 that was the first one. I yeah. knew that. And I can totally see why that that's a hit, but Mr. Wendell just sounds like a, a De La Soul song to me and uh, and like not as good a De La Soul song like maybe musically like a De La Soul song sampling wise but not rapping wise and I just kept coming back to that over and over again maybe unfairly that I'd rather listen to Tribe or De La Soul than than mm. this and um, maybe I need to give this more listens but ultimately I feel like and I wasn't super high on Sly and the Family Stone either if I recall or at least that like second album or, or the second one we covered or whatever there's it was. a riot going on yeah um i i feel like i don't know and and um i'd probably a, compare this more to stand than there's a riot going on that yeah, was a very different yeah. sound record and, but and they're not yeah. this group is not like all playing instruments either in the same way that sly and the family stone does and there's not really a lot of like backing vocals in the way that Sly does too. So I don't, I don't, it's not like an entirely appropriate comparison, but, but um, yeah, this is just, I didn't really, and also I don't really care about like the spirituality stuff. Like that's never something I'm looking for in music. And, and I, I appreciate their positive nature of kind of the themes and stuff, but, um, but ultimately there's something missing from this album for me. And, uh, maybe you had to be there. Maybe that's the, the quote. <laughs> more, <laughs> more more raps, less vibes for Josh. Yeah, right. this, this, <laughs> the vibes through the rapping is that. That's what I want. <laughs> so I I don't know if I'm quite as negative as as you are, Josh. But I yeah. think I I agree with a lot of what you're saying. There's I the first word I thought of when I heard of this once I got past singles is it's a little corny. I'd say would be yeah. the best way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, it is corny. Um, I appreciate the what it's doing, right? And and far be it from me to and I can understand if you were someone, right? You know, who was trying to put a different view of hip hop out there yeah. because you're looking at it and you're like, I don't necessarily love the fact that the genre of music I love is sort of talking about guns and treating women this way and stuff. And I can understand how it would sort of be like, I don't love that presentation. And you know, mm-hmm. the public enemy part of it uh but like i i think what's missing is 
it's it's not Sly and the Family Stone in terms of how it sounds. Like some of those songs were maybe as corny lyrically and to but the the music was great. Right. Like the guitar work whereas yeah. this is sort of it's not bad, but it's just sort of there. And like you said, we've we've seen stuff like De La Soul, right? That does this I think a little bit more skilled. Uh, the other thing is uh, some of the stuff in the consciousness hip hop that has resonated with me is, you know, public enemies urgency and anger stands out you know what i mean it's mm -hmm. it's appealing in its own way not everything hits but like you can get the energy right of what's going on the frantic nature of what far side was doing was there it's like wow it's like going on like a carnival ride you know yeah. different sounds and picking de la soul you know i i guess there's a little bit of the 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 nerdiness that could be looked at as corny as well but i think it's just the cho the choices they make musically and the wordplay resonate a little bit more and even people later like uh diggable planets and the roots that kind of cover some of this positivity they seem to do it more as like in a serious way connected to like a soulfulness right mm -hmm. whereas and maybe it's the spirituality part of it maybe it's my deep hatred of of message songs that aren't particularly well written and like Mr. Wendell, I've never really loved that. So I just think it's the I the thoughts are good, but it's like just very on the nose. You know what I mean? Like you know, I saw a man with no clothes, no money, no plate. Mr. Wendell, you know, it's mm -hmm. just I don't know. I just it, and, and I also think we're at an interesting spot in the early '90s that it, it was as much about people singing about this and bringing it to light, and there's a lot of a lot of like cause driven music at this point that doesn't necessarily age super well. Um, and I almost think that the reason it existed is because Gen X had this rep of being cynical. And so there were these light light beams and like, even back in the day, I was kind of like, no, I'm good with the cynical a little bit more. And it even more doesn't seem, uh, it doesn't move me. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. I, now musically, there's nothing wrong with this. The flow is pretty good. I like the fact that they're bringing in Southern roots elements. I like the fact they're bringing in almost some stuff like spirituals and stuff. And yeah, I, I guess for lack of a better way of putting it, like um, like African themes, you know, sort of the like um, the drums, but also sort of uh, like like wa I hate to say wailing, but you know what I'm saying? Sort of that like guttural sort of scream along with the music and stuff. I, I like those sounds, but it just never really totally congeals for me. Um, yeah. And that's where it's similar no. for like how Josh perceived it. It just um, seems of its time, but unfortunately the of its time is also a barrier to my enjoyment. So I, I think I, it's not like a hard thumbs down, but I think slight thumbs down for me. Um, and it might suffer a little bit from the fact that we've just been on a really good freaking run of hip hop yeah, albums. Maybe so. <laughs> yeah, and maybe I think it's just it, it might suffer less because of the quality of the album, but just in comparison to some of stuff that's doing the same lane, but that maybe is just a little bit of a cut above. So, you know, what it reminds me of is like it's like music for it's like rap music for like hippies or something like it's totally yeah. like benign and like you can imagine people in a field like dancing to this while on drugs and 
and not having to pay attention well, to the words and stuff. And, and that's just not what I want in rap, ultimately, I think. Well, and it's funny because wasn't that the knock that De La Soul got? And they were, <laughs> right. No, fuck that. We're going to make an album called De La Soul is Dead with a Dead <laughs> yeah. Flower because we don't want that image. And you almost yeah, feel like the people are like, yeah, man. Yeah, this is good stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Music for it. I like that. Let's roll with that vibe. It's consciousness. Yep. You know, and I think it's almost like the embrace of it that's like, ugh, no. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. now you're in like the rusted root lane of like another thing. And it's like, you, oh, uh, the rusted root of and, like, rap. almost yeah. like De La Soul rejecting that label is like almost what makes it even worse. Because yeah, like, no, <laughs> exactly. no, no, dude, we're not taking that like on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, and I just feel like Sly and the Family Stone were able to be that, but in a way that like we all love that album. Because right. it was just so funky, it like combined. Mm-hmm. It had that vibe, but it didn't feel as um, right. Almost like you're you're at a like a like a like a at a lecture at a liberal arts university. <laughs> it's got how this album felt <laughs> yeah. at times. You yeah. know, it's like I chose to go to a big state university, so I didn't have to go to like a lecture <laughs> at a liberal arts university. So yeah, yeah. I I and I don't want to say this is like not authentic or something, but it no, just feels I, I, forced yeah. or. In, in a way that Sly and the Family Stone felt more organic or something, um, and, and that but I don't think totally it's I don't think piece, it's but but that's the thing I don't think it is forced I think that yeah. they're all like full blown in either. on it it's it's just that I uh, but I see what you're saying at the same time it comes across because it's also very different than like what was yeah. what became popular at least in rap yeah, and what yeah. you you guys and we've all like. Uh, associated with rap this is not a standard rap sound right, right. the positive message it. and like yeah. the you know um the path it's, not taken it's, it's with, with like history. very little edge right this yeah. isn't really an exactly. edgy album yeah. you know yeah well we've had reactions to stuff like this before famously and as i'm reminded this week from a comment we got of somebody very angry at us stevie wonder <laughs> right where we kind of said love 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 yeah. love <laughs> great love, stuff love. going on it's interesting <laughs> but it's also a little bit of love it's like all right man how many times and you know we've had like rock um yeah uh things as well where we're like oh you know it's awesome but you know i don't know if there's there's yeah. no edge to this you know yeah there's time. there's so, no edge yeah. and there's no subversion to this i think yes. that's ultimately what my problem is and, mm-hmm. and why i don't like it um yeah mm-hmm. so you that's know and, and de la soul did do the daisy age and they were kind of like nerdy in their first album but i think there was like a realness and like a subversion to what they were doing and like a welcome change. And I just don't welcome this change that they were bring that arrested <laughs> development is bringing to, to the table at this point. So less vibes. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I'll NW, take. maybe like ice, uh, uh, the, the, the chronic just like fully like changed me after listening. Like I can't go back. Well, <laughs> clearly, if there was, if there were rap battles of over the direction of where rap was going, that clearly, you know, yeah. the gangster rap right. clearly well, won for the nineties. Yeah. yeah. In fairness, the the chronic did not influence my take on this album at all. To me, it oper- it existed in a completely different plane right. than I wasn't comparing to. I think yeah. what killed this album a little bit for me was things like the Far Side and Black yeah. Sheep and Brand Nubian yep. and Public Enemy, and I'm just like, okay, all of these, the, you know, De La Soul, yeah. Gangstar, like there's all of this consciousness hip hop coming from different stuff, and there's just angles being taken, or even just the flow of the MC or the production choices and and like i said th- there's nothing wrong here it's just this is not my exact right. lane yeah yeah rap for people who don't like rap perhaps <laughs> yes yeah, yeah maybe, maybe a little it. bit of a bat maybe if i'm gonna out myself a little bit maybe a little bit of the southernness of it as well um i think 
there's just something with New York that connects more with me. There's mm. like a grit, vibrancy, realness, yeah. right? That like when you expand it to this, it, it, it almost feels like somebody from, and I almost hesitate to say this because it go, it seems like I'm, I'm saying it's inauthentic and I totally do not believe that. And I actually respect the fact of like how they, they chose to go about this, even if it doesn't resonate. But like, I almost feel like I would want somebody from Atlanta to be a little angrier. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I feel like it's, it's like, oh, okay, you got to the point. Like, and I don't know, maybe it's just because I, I'm hearing a lot of like anger in the genre in different ways, some really overt, some more subversive, you know, some mm -hmm. more nuanced uh, political, right? But it's just, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's not. I, I don't I, feel like it's fair for me to demand that, right? Because it's not there. Right. So, like, I, I'm hesitant to say that, but I do think a little bit of that's what's missing. And I, and I don't even really get like much of a southern vibe from this. It's kind of like placeless to me, or locationless ness. And it's not oh, crunk. It's not vibe. crunk. <laughs> well, Josh, yeah, and right? Outcast well, comes later different. this decade, and that's like completely. It's yeah. I don't hear. There's, 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 there's. Oh, a, I do. I hear Outkast. No, I was going to say lineage. I don't, but I, yeah. I don't know, but there's something about Outkast. Well, they're one of the best. Anyway, it, it's not Outkast, but like, <laughs> like I don't know. It's just not, not um Southern based in a way that I think of as well. But. You don't think like Miss Jackson has elements of like what this song? I could definitely. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Or so fresh and so clean has like uh, if you listen to them, you. Maybe just the delivery, the the, the southernness of the delivery. I don't know. I, I heard Outcast this for sure. Hmm. Yeah, and definitely uh, like nappy roots, right? They're, they're, oh yeah. no, hell no! Right. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. like me. Yeah. Hey, I only get yeah. up and done it. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, all right. Last album. All right, last album. So we're doing Pavement here with Slanted and Enchanted, and the opening montage you heard a clip from Summer Babe. Now you're gonna hear a clip from here. And all the Okay, so Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement comes in at number 42 in the 1990s on Best Ever Albums, number 3 in 1992, number 211 of all time. It's Pavement's second highest rated album on Best Ever Albums behind 1994's Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. Um, it also made Rolling Stones list uh, coming in at number 199. And Pavement is ranked number 105 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. So like I said, this is the first time we're covering them. This is their debut album um, out of a total of, they have a total of five albums, but I believe they also have nine EPs. Hmm. Um, okay. So uh, so there's, that's that. Uh, it was released, uh, Slanted and Enchanted was released on April 20th, 1992. And the genres of pavement include indie rock, lo-fi, noise pop, and alternative rock. Uh, artists that influenced them include the Pixies, Sonic Youth, Dinosaur Jr., Pear Ubu, Television, The Feelies, Wire, The Fall, R.E.M., Captain Beefheart, Slint, and The Velvet Underground. Uh, artists that they are seen to be similar as include uh, Sebado, Beck, Liz Fair, Yola Tango, Meat Puppets and Guided by Voices. And art they've influenced a ton of bands, uh, some of which include Built to Spill, Mogwai, Spoon, Josh's favorite, mm -hmm. uh, Dismemberment Plan, Weezer, Modest Mouse, uh, Beta Band, Blur, Neutral Milk Hotel, and The Shins. 
Their highest charted album is 1997's Brighten the Corners, which reached number 70 on the U.S. charts. And their highest charting single is 1994's Cut Your Hair, which actually reached number 10 in the U.S. So um, very, unli very unlike Pavement to hit that high in the charts, but Cut Your Hair definitely did that. Um, I did watch a documentary on this band as well. There's, it's, it's on YouTube. It's called Slow Century. Probably wasn't as good as the one on um, on uh, Jawbreaker, but it was still interesting enough. You can see Stephen Malcolmus, lead singer of Pavement and uh, and kind of leader of the band. He's in, interviewed in a sauna, which is uh, different, <laughs> a different place in a sauna. Wearing a towel, just talking about Pavement in a sauna. So there you go. Um, I did. I have a couple of quotes here because I, I came across a couple of things that I thought were, were pretty well put together. And so all music describes them when you pull up pavement because trying to describe their sound, I think they did a good job of, of just describing the band, which is pavement is perhaps the defining American indie rock band of the 1990s. The group that captured the slacker zeitgeist of the alt rock era, standing detached from the tumult of grunge. Pavement seemed laconic, sometimes lazy, as they threaded their love of underground American rock and British post-punk, dressing, uh, dressing their winding melodies with squalls of feedback and shambolic rhythms. So I thought that was a good... And, and also Robert Criscow, famed uh, uh, critic, music critic for many decades, called Pavement the finest rock band of the 90s. Hmm. So high praise from him. Uh, the group was formed in Stockton, California in 1989 by childhood friends, uh, guitarist and vocalist Stephen Malcolmus and Scott Canberg. And they did release several, uh, three EPs before this record with a drummer by the name of Gary Young. Um, he actually, Gary Young became their drummer because he owned, a, he had like his own studio and that's where they recorded their EPs and then they just, and he played drums. And so they were like, why don't you just join the band? So he, he became their drummer. He was also 13 years older than the other members. Um, and sadly, he actually passed away last year at the age of 70, I believe. Um, so in the, the early other... years... Sorry, What's Matt. Who was the other band that we talked about that an older member? Was that the Descendants? Like somebody was quite older yep, than everyone you else? you got it. Yeah. The Police <laughs> did too, right? Wasn't Andy Summers like 10 years older than? He was a decade, yeah, older. Yeah. yeah. Yep, so we've had a couple of those. Um, so in the early years of Pavement, uh, they did draw comparisons to The Fall. And oh, uh, I saw this quote by The Fall's Mark E. Smith claimed that Pavement were, were a ripoff and that they, quote, did not have an original idea in their heads. <laughs> So he was not a That's fan. Like my review of the fall. Other <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, CTS band that we covered, the Wedding Present, covered a early Pavement song called "Box Elder," and uh, but because Pavement was not really well known, uh, many people for a while thought that Pavement's version was a cover, when in yeah. fact it was the Wedding Present who were covering them. So there you go. Um, so this record was actually recorded in, from December through January, December of 1990 through January of 1991. Um, and uh and basically circulated for over a year by cassette tape and so just was not being put out by any label um before it was being released commercially at all so uh but so between the time that they actually recorded the record and they released it they did have other members join the band and that included bob nastanovich who was stephen malcolmus's uh, friend from college they went to uh, university of virginia together and Nastanovich was one was a percussionist in the band, and a guy by the name of Mark Eibold who played bass. Um, he was just a fan of Pavements. He would go to shows and and he would hang out with the band, and um, and they eventually and he would, could play the bass, and so they eventually brought him on as a bass player. So um, there was a couple other bands that Malcolmus started uh, with Nastanovich. They were in a band called Ecto Salvia, 
or Actoslavia, excuse me, um, with a uh, with James McNew, who and McNew actually later on went on to join Yola Tango. So there was a small time that they were involved in a band together. And, uh, and uh, Nastanovich and um, Malcolmus also formed another band called the Silver Jews around the same time. So they were kind of uh, dipping their toes in other bands. Um, Stephen Malcolmus uh, has, has been quoted as uh, saying that Slanted and Enchanted is probably the best record we made only because it's less self-conscious and has an unrepeatable energy about it. And then um, we're going to cover them a couple more times. So I'm basically stopping here. Um, but uh, I did like this quote. I read an article that Chuck Klosterman wrote, uh, uh, did gave an interview, interviewed Stephen Malcolmus for GQ magazine. And they were talking about how after they broke band broke up, like people didn't really keep in touch with uh, Stephen Malcolmus. And I guess Stephen Malcolmus, one of the things you learned in this article is that he is a huge fantasy sports fan. So he yeah. has all these fantasy sports leagues. And Nastanovich has this quote saying, Stephen is actually pretty difficult, is a, is a pretty difficult guy to get access. If you're not in the same town with him, you don't really hear from him. I found that the easiest way to get in touch with him, even if it's about a pavement-related issue, is to propose a trade in one of our fantasy leagues and attach my question in an email memo. So <laughs> that made me laugh. You need, you want to get his attention? You gotta, you gotta make a trade in fantasy sports. So, uh, so there you go. So, um, I, I've talked about pavement many times with John before, but um, Josh, I don't know. If, I don't. I don't think you had much of a background on them, so I'm. I'm curious to hear your take first on this. What do you think of Slanted and Enchanted? Yeah, I'm very interested to talk about this album with you guys because I know what I know of Pavement is exactly what you quoted. They're like the '90s band. They're like the Gen X band. That's like all I ever heard, and mm -hmm. I never uh, went and listened to them. Or if I did, I I don't remember. But <laughs> because of this show, combing the stacks. I see the lineage of pavement in all the bands that we've talked yep. about. Like yep. there was like a million bands that came up when I was listening to this, you know, starting with velvet underground and going from there. Once again, another band influenced by the velvet underground. And, and the thing about pavement is too, I see forward to all the bands that they and were in, that influenced so many bands that I liked. I think I can see going back to pavement, you know, like, like Weezer later on this decade and, and you name anything you named in the influences or were like bands that I thought of. So I'm not going to like repeat them, but, um, and even his singing, Malcolmus's singing just reminds me of like Modest Mouse and like the direction that they did. Like, you don't have to have a traditionally good voice to, to, to have a band. Um, the this album is lo-fi sounding on purpose there's either off-tuned guitars or minor like alternative tunings as we've i think said with like sonic youth um, there's feedback and distortion all of the stuff we have like discovered along the way in the 80s into the into the 90s um they're they are short songs they are pop influenced i feel like ultimately and i feel about this album the way I felt about Dinosaur Jr. and some of the other bands. I, I like it. I really, I thought it was great. It wasn't what I expected. It wasn't what the reputation or kind of like what I remember John saying in the past about this band. Um, and I feel like the DNA is something that I really vibe with. There is kind of, I, I, can get why maybe like the low fi sound is too much or they're just kind of seem a little shoddy or a little um 
amateurish on this album in terms of sound or um, maybe almost like they're trying to sound bad on purpose or something. But I feel like ultimately they're rooted in making like pop songs or or have that foundation of their interests and they're building the rock music around that. And um, it's kind of hard. I guess what I'm trying to say is they're like so much of a lodestone for later bands. It's hard for me to separate them from from future bands in some way. It's like I can't not hear other bands like that's how kind of seemingly important this band seems uh, in in the musical um, landscape. So, uh, yeah, I I'm I liked it. I consider me like a neophyte to this band. I thought it was impressive it just kind of you know not great singing but there's good guitar it's it's discordant but not in a way that i that i don't like like we like we talked about before and there's a some weird sounds on here like on jackal's false grails there's some sort of i don't know if it's a guitar i couldn't figure out what it was it's like a weird synth or guitar sound or something that repeats that's pretty that's pretty good and they just do all these little things and the songs are like three minutes or less for the most part and it's like get in get out and uh kind of offbeat rock and roll college rock and i'm here for it so thumbs up yeah i mean as you could probably tell by the fact that matt and josh have brought it up in no uncertain terms to <laughs> i have an interesting relationship with the band pavement um i so yes as you got i think that the first when I first came to Pavement, it was because there was breathless press about mm. this band. I yeah. mean, if you were to read about Pavement in the 90s and you picked up any spin or NME or any of these, you, I mean, it was kind of, Robert Chris, uh, there's right, like, this is just revolutionary. They're like and the I hipster remember, band. And I remember listening to this and like the first time. And let me start by saying I, I've never hated pavement. In fact, there's a lot of things about it that I like. So mm -hmm. I, I am not anti-pavement. But I remember thinking, and at this time, I didn't have anywhere near the palette I have now, as Josh said, on communist text. But I had some. Yeah. And I, my first ever take age 13, listen to pavement, is like, oh, so this is like if you start trying to play like Sonic Youth, but like you just stop <laughs> yeah. like and just, just give up on playing like it and then move yeah. to the next thing. And like all the things, and they clearly are influenced as one of their influences, Sonic Youth, because yeah. there's elements of the down tuning and stuff that clearly hits my ear. I'm like, okay, I like some of what this is, but it just never develops. And what I love about Sonic Youth is you're constantly – you're seeing the progression of it and it builds and even their short burst songs like Mildred Pierce, right? Just hit you and explode, right? So it's yeah. like, okay, there's that. And then of course, you know, at around the same time, you're starting to pick up like, oh, you know, something like, you know, in the mouth of desert is sounds like a early Weezer song, right? Before right. Weezer. But exactly. Weezer is just like, all right, well, let's, you know, let's give it some pop polish, right? Yep. With a little bit of metal. And it's like, yeah, they finished the lead too, right? So, I, I mean, they are so Gen X-y because it's just it, – the Malcolmus is, is lazy kind of as a singer, <laughs> yeah. which is the knock on him a little bit. Yeah. It's fine, but it just – it doesn't pop. But then it's like, all right, <clears throat> now I have more to go off of. And you mentioned the fall, right, which I, I start writing down, okay, where is it there? But to me, there is a clear – 
comparative album for this, and that is Pink Flag by Wire. Mm -hmm. And Pink Flag by Wire does much of what this does, a bunch of fragments of songs to some degree that have sort of different leads playing around. I, I connected more with Pink Floyd. Or Pink Floyd, Pink Flag by Wire, very Freudian slip there. Pink Flag by Wire, and I'm like, well, yeah, this band was clearly influenced by Wire, the noise rock of like a Dinosaur Junior, which you mentioned for sure, yeah. Sonic Youth for sure. Um, uh, those are the uh, you mentioned uh, some of like the art rock we covered in the early '80s for sure. You could hear elements of that Pear Ubu, right? You mentioned yep. yeah, that uh, for sure. I heard all of that. I think for me, I, I want to go back to this. I enjoyed this album. In fact, I'd give this a thumbs up, but I, I will never get the breathless number one album of the year, every album that came out connection, because I do feel like it's like they are not reinventing the wheel. And I can drag out yes, I agree. lots of stuff that we've mm -hmm. covered, I think, that I think is a better version of what this is. And, and I like what this does in a different template and it's just hard for me not to compare it to somebody like sonic youth and i know matt is going to follow me and matt's going to talk about why he likes this much better than what sonic youth does and it's going to hit him like the converse of what you know it is for me so we're like going to be like a direct um contrast in terms of that but really i think if you're going to do this type of art rock or experimental rock I, I need a little bit more vibrancy and, and art in it as opposed to like the slacker ethos a mm. little bit. So mm -hmm. it's a weird one for me and that it's a thumbs up, yeah. but also I, I always am to some degree baffled by pavement. And that's why I kind of like half jokingly shit on them to Matt in particular all the time. It's like, all right, we're going to cover like every pavement album, of course, <laughs> because every fucking critic loves you know, pavement, and then of course they also love Neutral Milk Hotel because they follow. <laughs> well, the they lineage, only had one right? album. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. And unlike the other critical darlings of the '90s, who like I listen to it, I'm like, I get why they love PJ Harvey. You know what I mean? Or like the bands yeah. you'd see, like right, they would come up all the time. It's like I get that. Pavement was always the one where it's like I, I get it, but also like, huh? Like, yeah. hmm. and, and my only take is it's like the rock critic thing where it's like they look like us. And we maybe could be them. And like, you know, it's the whole time. We can't be Kiss, right? But we can be, you know, fucking, yeah. you know, pavement. So yeah. they, I think they get a little halo effect of that. So, yeah. So I think, yeah. That's a totally. Also with a snark. Yeah. I think that's a totally accurate and, and uh, appropriate review. I, I'm in agreement with you on that. Yeah. There we go. I, and, I, and I commend you, John, because earlier this week, Josh, Josh texted me. He goes, I don't get why John doesn't like pavement. It seems like it has all the stuff that he likes. And I'm like, I'm not sure either, but I think you did a really good job of kind of parsing out yeah. like the different things Agreed. and like why. So, and it makes sense. And it, and it does also line in with your personality that like, there's a little know, shit the, post of my hatred of them. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like, the type, the times that you shit on them, it's like, it's more because of like, it's, it's like a little bit of backlash because you are sick of hearing about how one, yeah, everybody just being <laughs> right. like, how amazing. And you're like, slow your roll. They're good. But like, you know, other people, yeah. So that all makes sense, right? Um, but yeah, I, you're right. I, I, I would much rather listen to this than most of the Sonic Youth stuff that we covered, right? Um, yeah. It's and I think. But this do you is recognize also... it as descendants of Sonic Youth? Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. absolutely. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. No, 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 yeah. for sure. Um, and also the Pixies. We haven't brought there's this is a very Pixies element to this. So and, you're and right. The and that's are superior to this. Band, yes, I agree. Sure. I, I think like, the Pixies, no I would rather listen. To, yes, the, the Pixies albums we covered are better than this. Um, 
for me. I and and you're right in the sense that it's not really reinventing the wheel, but there's something about it's like one of those artists and it's and it's weird to say this about them because they were never on a major label. They never really sold albums. They were not like yeah. commercially successful. Um but like there was something about them, the way that they when they hit, how they hit and with who they hit that it be and it early 90s, right? So this is 92. Their last album Twi Terror Twilight was 99, so they are like right in the 90s, just about a decade, like eight years mm -hmm. together, or really a decade together, but eight years of albums. Um, but they just fell in line, and they just they uh, it, they became like one of like the Velvet Underground of their of the time, really, right? Yeah, but yeah. like, but it, as well as the Pixies did, but the Pixies were just earlier than them. But this was like a quintessential 90s album or band because of just the fact that they were pretty much existed in the 90s. Um, to me, they, they do a great job of scratching that itch of being like discordant and off and weird and like what's going on, but there's also embedded at the core of it's, it's melody, right? It's, it's, it there's, and it's not, it's one of those things where, cause I don't, I didn't know this record terribly well. The only pavement album that I felt like I, that I really know is Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. That's the only one that I ever owned. Um, and, uh, so I can't really say that I came into this knowing really any of these songs. I am not, I have never been a huge pavement fan, but I've, I've been curious about them and I've enjoyed them. I have friends from college that love, they're all they're They are definitely in that crowd that you're talking about. That's just like, this is one of the greatest bands ever. Um, I'm not quite there. I do so like they them say quite things a bit. Like, I don't get why people love like REM. Like, <laughs> no, 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 like no, 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 the, the no, they're not. No, fan take, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that, no, that not at all. Um, okay, good. So, uh, but so, yeah, to me, it's one of those things that we talk about, like on artists like, uh, you know, the talking heads where they kind of do this weird avant garde arty kind of thing. But then they cut they cushion it with they couch it in with this this melody, these hooks, these beats or whatever um, that 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 hold that center me. Right. They, it's a grounding force in listening to what otherwise would be rather chaotic music. And so when you compare this to something like a pair Ubu, right? Or a wedding present, or yes, for me, a lot of times Sonic Youth, yeah. where they're lacking that, right? They're lack that, and that's that's a big barrier for me for Sonic Youth. You're right, John, that the Sonic Youth is definitely having more songs that are, go longer than three, two, three, four minutes. Um, and they, they develop and they're doing different things. This isn't really doing that. This is kind of getting in, getting out. Um, but uh, I, I, but there's I, but a certain it, repetition to what they do too that I feel is in contrast to, you know, where they kind of keep hammering the same note and coming back mm -hmm. to it a little bit. I feel pa pavement or, or or Sonic Youth. Pavement. pavement. Uh huh. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I think so. And I and yeah, and Malcolm's voice is not a traditionally. It's not a good voice. And the the lazy slacker, you know. Um, the jet the it's very gen x right it's kind of like falling under that category yeah. as well and and um yeah and he also they probably also made people feel like you know oh i can't sing and i can't play an instrument either so but i could start a band and i think actually malcolm has said in, in one of the interviews in the documentary that i watched said something like you don't need you don't need to play your guitar well to be in a, in a good band and he's like and i just i know that right like and like, he's like a like a point he's proud of that fact right that there's no virtuoso guitar playing here but it's it's virtuoso in the sense that like they're taking something and kind of you know you're perfecting under, it really you're understanding perf music enough and like yes. structure 
and 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 they're deconstructing it to an extent and they're purposefully down tuning and let me they're experimenting with different sounds and like let me throw in this little and they're doing it not just for the sake of being different and weird but also because like it's just it's just part of their signature and it's part of what you know kind of gives them their sound um and they can still couch it within something that's that's very pleasant or listenable and um you know so uh well, so yeah especially here they kind mm -hmm. of like give you they're like yeah we can kind of write a song that's pretty and has yep. profound lyrics yeah and goes to three minutes and 56 seconds and here's what that would sound like and it's pretty fucking good and now we're just not gonna fucking do it anymore like and i <laughs> right, i respect right. sort of a little bit of like the the ethos because i have a little bit of that in me myself but it is a little bit of like you know we don't really know how to play the good it's like you fucking clearly do asshole. right you know what i mean like you can write like you can't write a song like here you know what i mean without an understanding of melody and right exactly like really fucking yep. good lyrics because it has great lyrics and of course he's always like oh my songs don't mean it it's like you're so full of shit so that's a little bit of my <laughs> argument whereas yeah. like yes. a sonic youth right they're up their own ass too but they're not like up their own ass like that you know what i mean it's like yeah. no it's important for us to explore musical yeah. horizons and well even and that's wider, the thing right like we're an art rock project and like we yeah, might not that's be a true. band totally but the art whereas this is for like eh, skateboards and yeah uh, we write songs about skateboards and nothing and it's like not always come on dude like but you get the sense with malcolmus and even that clusterman article um you know he's he's like you can't really figure out what's going on because he's like nobody really knows why pavement broke up you know like it just kind of <laughs> just happened and people but and like, all the other members of pavement or just like just a dude, you know, like it's not, some people's he just doesn't give much. Not, he just doesn't, yeah. he just doesn't give much. Right. He, they broke up because he wanted the band to break up. Right. And he was basically the band in a lot of ways. Everybody else in the interviews is like, we would totally be back together. We'd be making more records. And he doesn't really give answers. He's just like, yeah, I just, you know, he he's does, just, he's, like, he's just not that invested or cares that much. It sounds like. Yeah. But I, I don't believe that. I think he, that's a, <laughs> that's like very Gen X. Like yeah. I don't give a fuck, but also mm. like, I am making an effort to not give a fuck. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's, that's a little bit of what I've always... It's like, I'm not totally certain he doesn't give a fuck. You know yeah. what I mean? It's kind of like... Right. Well, we'll never know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's not going to tell you. Yeah. But uh, I just as think that type of mystery is a big fucking thing for critics, too, which is what really draws them to it. Yeah, you know? could be. Yeah. As but, opposed I mean, to like being like Morrissey. Right where it's like, what the fuck? You know, this is a lot. It's a lot to be... But he's equally like, you know, like, oh, I don't give a fuck. Well, clearly yeah. giving a fuck. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, I did. I as far as this album specifically goes, I really I did enjoy it. I, I um you know I like I said I didn't really know any of these any of these songs. I think it starts off really strong. I love Summer Babe. I think that's a great that's a great opening song. Um, and uh, and it just goes from there. I, I do like it's it's like got some variety in there. Some of it's just like him screaming like what is it? No, no life no life singed her. He's just like. Aah! <laughs> it starts off with that so it's got like that discordant stuff but it's got you know at the like john said here is a really pretty song like it's like that's probably maybe the most straightforward it's like yeah. very velvet underground too yeah yeah good point yeah um i love jackals false grails the lonesome arrow that was a you know that that was a that was more of a uh, instrumental there's a, there's some lyrics there but not many so but there's a cool groove going on there so yep. it just it's a very to me it's a very at the end of the day it's a very interesting record that goes in different directions and it gets better the more you listen to it right because the first time you listen to this is definitely not something you listen to just once and you can make an opinion on it i mean i guess you could but like it's to me this is a grower this is where you you're gonna initially be put off put off by what's happening because of the discordant nature of a lot of yeah. stuff and 
the awkward like where that come from just throwing in weird stuff and whatever but it's there's actually there's 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 some there's like a method to it there's a there's a reason behind it and the more i listen to music like this and, and more i listen to pavement the more i'm able to see it and i end up liking them the more i listen to them so yeah thumbs up um i you know I, i'm glad we got to this it's a i've heard of this album for many many years i just never really listened to it and i'm glad we got around to it this time so yeah thumbs up oh. for me I'll also throw a shout out to tracks 11 through 13, Perfume V, Flamethrows and Jackals and False Grails. That's when they kind of go, they, they start doing the beginning of a lot of like what Sonic Youth does. And yeah. I really like those. That's very discordant and drawn out. And I kind of described it as like the first two minutes and 10 seconds or three minutes of what would eventually be like a six minute version if like Sonic Youth was doing it. And that's yep. where I most connected with them because it's like, ooh, this is some interesting choices in terms of how they laid this out. Um, so uh, yeah, after all of that, there's a lot about this sound, as you guys mentioned, that I do like. And that's why even with me doing all of that, it's still a thumbs up and yeah. I enjoyed this. And I was laughing, I was like, they're going to be surprised that I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. like this out, but they really shouldn't, they really shouldn't be because there's nothing in every take I've taken that wouldn't lead you to believe that I wouldn't like. And right. I can well, also... it's it's not your takes. It's just like the history of knowing you for so many years. <laughs> right. And anytime payment comes up, it's you like shitting on them. So that's more what, it, but without, without, without you ever really going into detail that I can recall anyway, as to why the way that yeah. you just did. So that's, that is helpful. And I shit on Pink Floyd a lot, and yet I went back later. I'm like, yeah. eh, they're not quite as bad as I thought. Yeah. There's, there's well, you just have like, a so, yeah. Yeah, more nuanced take now. Um, my final thoughts. I like Two States. I thought that was a fun, a fun track. I mean, we basically name-checked yeah. almost every song on here. but And uh, I would not appreciate this band as much if we hadn't done the work on the show and listened to all these other albums that came before them. I yeah. think that's ultimately my final uh uh, appreciation post for this and this is another one of those albums like every song sounds like another band so like yeah. it sounds like a fugazi song so it's like each one of the it's like each one of like what band are they this one you know yeah. that we've covered so far so yeah okay and that takes us to the end of the show for uh josh and matt sorry i threw stuff in and for my uh long departed sister in this show this is john thanks so much for listening coming the stacks can be found on 13 different platforms Viewer feedback can be sent to combingthestacks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at CombingThe and on YouTube by searching for Combing the Stacks and throwing us a follow.